Now, listen, Kath isn't very well turned. We've got loads of calls. We'll wait and you can talk to Kath. Uh, we, um, we don't want to stay in the studio too long with you, Kath. I'm sorry. No, I'm still highly contagious. Because you are slightly contagious and that's not very nice, is it? Uh, oh, right, oh, we're going dear. back at seven tomorrow. Oh, God. Oh. The Late Night Alternative with Catherine Boyle. You never know just where the conversation will take you on Talk Radio. Juliet Turner, she's brilliant. Look her up if you've never heard of her before. She's fantastic. Um, tonight, monkey-human hybrids, they exist, ladies and gentlemen. We've suspected it for a while, but they actually exist. They've been made in a lab. The mum who's been turned into a plant pot. 
And the truth about Siegfried and Roy's tiger encounter. Apparently, the tiger was not attacking them, and Siegfried and Roy have spoken for the first time exclusively about what really happened. Uh, also, 30 to 50 feral hogs may be sweeping through the studio at some point. But in the meantime, let's have a quick word with our favourite feral hog, Alan Caddy. Hey, Cat. Hey. What's the about hogs in the studio? I have no idea. Apparently it's a big problem in some parts of America and we shouldn't be laughing about it. What is this a cool farting gift from Ian? A farting gift from Ian? Now there's a thought. No, I mean a parting gift from me. Oh, no, he's, he's not left me anything but uh, headaches and uh, t- knotty so tangles. He, so he must have found the passport at the post office then. Yeah, he found it on Saturday. He's fine. He's managed to get out of the country legally this time with minimal bloodshed. Oh, yeah, because he was going to blast him with a shotgun, wasn't he? He was. He didn't need to do that, thankfully, no. And this has come from the biggest liquor of 2019. Mm-hmm. I feel sorry for Gap Provoker. I listened back on the Talk Radio app. Did you? Yeah, and my coffee round must have won it for me. The what, what? The coffee round. When we had the coffee fit. Oh, yeah. I think, I think definitely, yeah. I think you're, def- you're definitely right there. What kind of a day have you had, Alan Caddick? Let's talk uh, about you. It's been a bit wet, though, in Birmingham. Is it? <laughs> okay. Because Amy's ought to be a weatherman. Right. Amy said that. Who's Amy? No, Hayley in the phone oh, room. Oh, Hayley, right, yeah. She said you should be a weatherman. Yeah. It would be uh, good. I think weathermen generally tell what the weather's going to be rather than what it has been, but, I mean, it's, there's always a niche. Yeah, because you don't see many weathermen on the telly. It's mainly weather girls. Uh, I think you see plenty of weathermen. No, but when the weather first started, it was the women that used to present it. I don't know. I think it was fellas, and they used to use um, those magnets. And the licorice for the bars. All that, yeah. All that. And then it got computerised on the BBC in 1985. Did it? Right, I'm not going to question you. I know that your memory for dates is far better than mine. Um, well, well yeah. I might be wrong. And I'm, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to guess you're right. Well, put, let's put it out there. But also, I don't care. Anyway, so what's your plans for the rest of the week, Alan Caddick? Got the, got the paper round in the morning. Brill. How many papers are you doing these days? Well... We're, it's up to 28 papers now, because we've got a new order for the weekend. All right. 28 well, papers, that's not that's not that many, is it? Well, per day. Yeah. but So you do 28 houses? No, 28 papers to 26 houses. Oh. Because some houses double up. Right. Okay, so it's just 26 houses, and whereabouts are they? Are they miles away? No, it's all on the estate. Perfect. Perfect. You're laughing. How long does it take you? About an hour on my bike. Wow. It's longer when I'm walking. Uh-huh. Okay. And do you listen to music while you're doing that, or do you just freestyle it? Do you sing to yourself? I listen back to last night's song on Talk Radio, of oh, course. Excellent. Well, thank you very much indeed, Alan Caddick. I like to think in some way we are helping you to get the tomorrow's news to their doors of 26 people. You mean the headlines? All that stuff, yeah. All right, cheers, Kath. Bye. I mean... Does that seem like a short round to you? I seem to remember doing a paper round one. I wasn't allowed to do one on my own. My mum said it was a mugs game, right? Um, And a friend of mine had one, and she had this massive bag. It was really heavy, and there were loads of papers in there, and it seemed to take take hours and hours, and you had to fold them a certain way, and you weren't allowed to leave them hanging out of the letterbox. And 28, 
28 papers to 26 houses doesn't seem massive amounts, but I'm sure he does it with great vim and verve. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the phone number to phone tonight. It's just me. Um, Ian's away with his boys, um, and uh, I'm here with with you guys. Uh, we've got loads to talk about, but I, you know, and we can do talking points and stuff. But I always throw them out. You never come back with them, so you know you, you can yammer on about whatever you fancy. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. But first of all, I think we should write a wrong, a great wrong that's been going on since two thousand and three. Siegfried and Roy finally set in the record straight on what really happened with that tiger attack in 2003. They say it wasn't an attack, it was an accident. Siegfried and Roy have broken their silence over a trainer's claims that they were they were responsible for the 2003 tiger attack that nearly killed Roy and ended the legendary illusionist Las Vegas show. I went over there probably the year before that and those guys were huge. They kind of owned Vegas. I guess now if you go, it's all about Celine Dion. Um... Is it, and Elton John before that, you know, they kind of owned the place and they had these sort of multi-million dollar deals and they were living kind of uh, in private houses in the, you know, the boundaries of the hotel complex. And, they, you know, they were living the dream. These guys were two guys with kind of Derek Acora haircuts um, and actually a similar wardrobe to Derek Acora. Very snazzy, very sharp. And uh, as I say, they were the kings of Vegas. 2003 happened, it all went horribly wrong. I resume the story. They say it was an accident. Because if a tiger attacks you, it takes two seconds to take you over. Seagreed Fishbarker, 80, 80, said in an interview with Good Morning America. The Masters of Magic performed at the Mirage Resort and Casino from 1990 until Roy Horn suffered the career-ending injury on stage on October 3rd, 2003, his 59th birthday. The duo's show was regarded as the most visited performance on the Strip, grossing $45 million a year. Earlier this year, their former handler, Chris Lawrence, alleged Roy hadn't followed the proper procedure on stage and this had diminished his relationship with Manticore, a Siberian white tiger, which contributed to the attack. Lawrence also claimed Roy had been treating the cats like props instead of respecting them for who they were. But Siegfried hit back at the claim, saying the attack occurred while Roy was having a stroke on stage and the tiger was trying to help. Manticore was waiting to get his jump up on Roy's shoulders and get his treat, Siegfried explained, adding that Roy said no, 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 no to Manticore. Siegfried said Manticore jumped on Roy, 74, who then looked around and appeared to not understand what was going on. He said that's when Manticore grabbed Roy by the neck and dragged him off stage, apparently just trying to help. In March, Lawrence, who was working on the night with Roy, uh, was attacked, told The Hollywood Reporter many of the handlers thought Roy was treating the cats more like props and that he, than he was respecting them for who they were. Lawrence noted that Roy was feeding and walking the big cats far less frequently over the years. That can only work as long as there are no variables, which is impossible considering you're dealing with a living, thinking animal. I'm positive that Roy's diminishing relationship with Manticore was a key factor in the attack, Lawrence said. But Siegfried and Roy have maintained the seven-foot male tiger who weighed 400 pounds was trying to protect Roy after he suffered a stroke during his birthday show, performed in front of A-listers and friend. Now, this to me sounds like the ultimate cat lover's excuse for their cat's bad behaviour. My sister's cat was my nemesis, Elvis his name was. He was the runt of the litter and I think he was taken away from the litter too soon. And uh, he took a dislike to me. The weirdest thing was we were cool until I had a baby. And I don't know what kind of hormonal stuff I was kicking off or whether um, the baby crying and me always being with the baby when the baby was crying maybe 
kicked off some sort of protective instinct in this cat. But from then on, it was like one of those Disney villain cats. It used to lie in wait for me, right? And, and it used to look around and make sure no one else was there so it could stitch me up, right? It, if I went past the stairs, it would suddenly appear at the banister and take a swipe at my face. And when I told my sister, oh, no, 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 he wouldn't do that. He did it. He did it. Or I'd go out of the room and I'd be on my own with it and he would just hiss at me and like go for my leg. And I'd tell my sister and she said, no, you must have, you must be playing. You must be playing. So I think in this case, I mean, obviously, uh, this, this ended up in near disaster for, for poor old Roy and ended a career, but, uh, helping him because he was having a stroke. I don't think so, my friend. Um, Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is a phone number to call tonight. If you fancy a chat, we can talk about uh, excuses for bad behaviour in pets. We can talk about that. I know some of you went to see Sigrid and Roy. I had a, I had um, a tweet earlier on from someone who had been in Vegas just before that. Let me just see. It says, oh, "This is from Jimmy T. Before the tiger attack, I was at the Mirage Hotel in Las Vegas. You can listen to recordings from Sigrid and Roy on the way around the zoo area." At the Tigers, Roy mentioned happily that only once a tiger had become angry at him, he'd manfully tapped the tiger on the nose and it calmed down. Well, that didn't work this time around. Thanks for that, Jimmy T. If you want to send me a tweet, it's at Talk Radio or at Flipping Cath. Uh, you can text me on 87222. Just put talk before your message or you can give me a ring on 0344 499 Today I had one of those days with the kids where, what is it, is it week two of the holidays? I've completely lost count. And my parents have been away, so I've not had the usual sort of cavalry call from my mum at about 11 o'clock and she'll take the kids out for an hour or two so I can have a kip. Obviously working late nights and looking after kids at the same time. There's only so long you can do it uh, before you turn into evil Edna, which is what I've turned into today. So... I try to make sure that the kids aren't just sort of sitting in front of screens all day because, you know, my bad mum alarm starts going off in my head, even though I think, you know, now and again, let them do what they want to do. It's holidays. Um, so I decided, right, OK, well, let them make slime. They've been talking about wanting to make slime, which apparently is what they're doing these days. I find it really strange that kids now um, are into this sort of tactile. The, the crazies are sort of tactile stuff. Started with the fidget spinners. Then it was those mini magnet things. Now it's all about slime. It's all kind of tactile stuff rather than like super stimulating. I suppose the games that they play all the time are, are super fast and stimulating. And so they just want to do something that's a little bit more, you know, using their senses, if you know what I mean. Anyway, so they're making this slime and I thought, groovy. I'm a cool mum. I'm letting them do it. I'm chilled. They're over there in the corner of the house where the carpet is already destroyed. So it doesn't matter if they tramp it in because they will. And I've covered the table. We're all sorted. And so I let them, I let them play. And they were actually, this, this is a thing that I think is quite 2019. One of them had set a camera up and they were doing like a YouTube tutorial, just pretending, but it's the 2019 version of what me and my sister used to do, which was put a tape in and do a, a radio show, right? So they're doing YouTube, which one day I'm going to play to them because it's hilarious. They've got all the mannerisms down and everything. They're going, you know, don't forget to like and subscribe. And they've got, um, one of them's calling himself, what's she calling herself? Shadow Shimmer. And the other one is Watermelon WhatsApp. Yeah, what's going on? So they think that, you know, they think they've, they've got it sorted. And to be honest, they would be brilliant, but I'm not letting them anywhere near YouTube, obviously, because they're only sort of, what are they? Eight coming up, eight coming up, 11. So anyway, they're doing that. And I thought, groovy, we're all cool. 
and then I noticed that there was like a trail of slime going from the table to the various other parts of the house that they'd been visiting, like to the loo and back and to the kitchen and back. And and I started to get a little bit uptight and I'm thinking, chill out, Catherine, this is all sortable. It's probably water-based. We can get rid of it. Also, you were the messiest kid in the world. You've got absolutely no right to complain. And then I went in the bathroom and this is where I am going to sound pathetic, and I know I do because I heard myself thinking it and thought I sounded pathetic, but I still couldn't help my, my uh, hackles from rising. Like all down one of my, like I've got posh towels downstairs because that's where strangers go, right? <laughs> so it's that kind of area of the house where you pretend you live like that all the time, but actually all the crap's upstairs. And there was a great big blue hand mark all the way down my towel. I started going, right, okay, girls, I think you should tidy up now. And then they were kind of asking me for things. I sort of took myself off into the kitchen and I said, best not to ask me anything for about 10 minutes. I'm I'm just a little bit cross about something, but I'll be all right in a minute. And I was trying not to take it out on them because I realised it was completely my thing and mostly down to being not very well and knackered. And it was that moment. And then one of them came in and she said, what's the matter then, mummy? And I came out with the thing I swore I never would and that my mum used to come out with the whole time. I heard my mother's voice say, it's just I can't have anything nice with you two. I can't have anything nice with you two. I heard that over and over again when I was a kid. And sure enough, yeah, you know, I was a clumsy kid. But I can't have anything nice because of a towel, for God's sake, that I put in the washing machine. It's probably going to be fine. I can't have anything nice with you two. And then I heard myself and I kind of... I heard myself and I thought, right, you're being an idiot. And I made myself laugh a little bit. And then I said to the girls, do you know, Grandma used to say that all the time. She used to say, I couldn't, she couldn't have anything nice with us. And the girl said, and now all grandma stuff is nice. And my youngest went, she's even got a cream sofa, <laughs> which is the height of niceness, according to my kids. I said, yeah, guess what colour the sofa was when I was a kid growing up at grandma's house? And they went, brown, like ours? <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, there's no accident there. I said, one day you're going to grow up and you'll realise you've turned into your mother. And today was one of those days. So sorry to the girls. They won't be listening, but maybe they'll listen in the future. Sorry to the girls. Thank you to mum and flipping it, Catherine. Sort your life out. Experience the unconventional, the unpredictable, and the completely unorthodox. The Late Night Alternative with Catherine Boyle on Talk Radio. 03444991000. Fleet Boy is absolutely right on Twitter. It's like when your kid says a naughty word and your response is, where did you get that from? You know exactly where they get it from. All credibility is lost with that sentence. I know. And we all say it. We all say it. It's like the time when one of my kids was at preschool and she was talking to the teacher about what you say when you're cross. And she says, well, in books they say bother. But Grandma says, oh, chips. We knew it wasn't oh, chips. Hello, Jimmy. Hiya. Hey. How you doing, Kat? I'm all right, thanks. Thanks for giving me a ring. Oh, three, four, 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 nine, nine, one thousand, by the way, if you want to give me a ring. Uh, thanks for picking up the phone, Jimmy. What you got? Yeah, well, um, first of all, my, I remember my old dad used to say to me, um, you can learn the easy way or you can learn the hard way. And if you're not careful, you'll learn the hard way. And I never quite understood what that meant. But nowadays, with my 10-year-old and 6-year-old, I say it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Really bizarre how that happens. I know. You and you turn into them, don't you? You catch yourself and you go, oh, my God. In fact, I saw myself in the mirror today and I've had my fringe cut and I look just like my mum. I'm having one of those days. If she's listening, okay. she'd be horrified that I'm horrified. But you know what I mean? It's no no disrespect to my mum, but she's she's a good 20 years on me. Um, but yeah, you, you do, you start turning into them. You start coming out with things that you swore you never would or you didn't understand when you were a kid. And, and there it is. 
and all of a sudden your kids turn into you as well. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. The one that traipsed all the stuff through the house is me. And I always swore to myself I would never go mad at that kid because I don't think it makes... I didn't do it on purpose. I don't think it makes them, you know, it, it just makes them nervous. I, I was really yeah. clumsy and I was clumsier because my dad was forever preempting me knocking stuff over. Self-fulfilling prophecy, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But years before I had kids, I went to Las Vegas and uh, went to the Mirage Hotel where Steve Freedom Boy performed. Ah, right. And uh, this was, we didn't actually go see the show because the show seemed a bit hammy. It wasn't really into mu- the uh, kind of all the uh, tricks and stuff. I think they were a magic act. Yeah, and they, uh, were, they were quite, from what I remember, they were quite old-fashioned then. I mean, the presentation was very kind of 80s mullets, big shoulder pads, that whole thing. You know, old-fashioned magic, wasn't it? And it was, yeah, and I had no knowledge of them from this country at all. So we go over there, and all of a sudden they're the biggest thing. They're on all the billboards. And, like, the some of the hotels, you'd have, like, Caesars Palace, obviously the big one. You'd have Treasure Island, which was all around, like, two great big pirate ships having a big battle. And there'd all be these themes. And the theme for this hotel was Sea Freedom Voice. So they pretty much ran this giant hotel in an exclusive part of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And so we went to this, uh, It was I think it was called the Secret Garden or something like that. And they had lots of animals there. It was a bit like a zoo. They even had dolphins there. So you could go see the dolphins. But the big attraction was these white tigers. Because right. I think one of the big things about it was that they were albino tigers, I think. Right. So they were quite rare. And so everybody wanted to go see these things. And you had... You know, like these days, you go to visit somewhere and you've got like a headset you can put on and you'll listen to a, a narration through the journey around somewhere. They had a similar thing with which was Sieg Freedom Roy. And so Sieg Freedom Roy would interject, you press number one and they'd start chatting about it. We got to the Tigers and Roy says, one, oh, can't do the accent, <laughs> one, one, of, one time a uh, one of the tigers reared up at me. It was the only time they ever did it. I bopped him on the nose, and he went straight back down again. Yeah. And 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 I just remember thinking, that's. I'm not sure I would have taken that tactic. <laughs> I don't think it's. I don't think it's the approved method. No, I think surely if it's fight or flight against a tiger, yeah. I'm fleeing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as quick as I possibly can. Although you've kind of had it when it comes to that, haven't you? I mean, there's no point. There is no taking on a tiger. There, is, I, I, you know, I've heard of different techniques for you can punch a shark in the nose. Apparently, I hope I never get to the point where I've got to test that theory out. But tiger, once it's once it's up, then you've had it, haven't you? Well, according to him, though, it worked, and he was very pleased with the result. And he said, "No, never again did this tiger rear wow. up at me." He must really and then, be magic. Well, fast forward to the actual hearing about Roy being mauled by the tiger. <laughs> And all I can think about is that Roy is, it's reared up at him and he's thought, I know what to do. Bop him on the nose, this will be fine. And then, no. <laughs> no, no, having it wasn't going to work at all. Thanks, Jimmy. My pleasure. Nice to speak to you. Oh, three, four, 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 nine, nine, one thousand. I mean, if you were in Vegas around that time, sort of 2000, I think they were there for a couple of years. That was the only time I'd ever heard of these guys because, like he says, it was not like they, they were like, household names like your Paul Daniels etc they're probably bigger than him in America of course but over here nothing you know but they were that kind of I think even David Copperfield would think that they were old-fashioned they were very super super 80s style glamour 
you know, doing the whole kind of miming and mugging faces, that whole over the top classic Vegas kind of magic. And so for that to happen, it was, it was really, really shocking. And at the same time, you know, if there's a definition of asking for it, it's someone messing about with a tiger and thinking that just bopping it on the nose is going to sort things out. Flipping it. I mean, just, you've heard of the Darwin Awards. That's right up there. He was lucky that he survived. Um, some other stuff, uh, we can talk about today. Hey, um, human monkey hybrids. I mean, it's been long suspected that some, uh, the people that walk amongst us aren't quite as they should be. Um, but there's this. Apparently, it's been done in a lab. Now, here's my theory about these hybrid things, right? If they're admitting to it, they'd done it before. They're not going to admit to it straight away. They're going to wait until they've properly finessed it, right? So this story about a human-monkey hybrid that's actually happened and that they are confessing to, it's got to be old news. It's got to be old news. They are walking amongst us, my friends. They've done this before, and if they're admitting to it, this is because they're, this is, they, they, they've managed to hit the jackpot with, with one particular example of it. But here it is. Here's the story. Scientists claim to have created the world's first, yeah, right, pull the other one, human-monkey hybrid using groundbreaking scientific techniques. The human-monkey embryos in which human cells are added to the monkey embryos. Yeah, we get it. We get what a hybrid is. Uh, created by researchers in China. Again, if China's admitting to it, it's because they're pretty pleased with the result. They're, they're going to have a lab full of these things. It's going to be like one of those Dr. Moreau. They, that was the that was the name of the film, wasn't it? Dr. Moreau's Island, where he'd made all these different creatures by splicing things together. They hope the breakthrough will eventually cl- create an endless supply of human organs for transplants. Isn't that a hideous thought? They're, what They're going to make these creatures... Just so we can farm them. What the hell is going on? It's all going to go wrong. Just look at all the films. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Just don't do it. They hope the breakthrough will eventually create this endless supply of human organs for transplants. I don't want a monkey-human hybrid one, thank you very much. But critics have warned the scientific development will create disturbing dilemmas over the ethics of human-animal hybrids. The project was led by Spanish scientist Juan Carlos Iz- uh, Ithpisua, in a laboratory in China, project collaborator Estrella Nunes told El Pais. The team was made up of members of the Salk Institute in California, U.S., and the Murcia Catholic University in Spain. Nunes, a biologist and vice-chancellor of the research team at UCAM, said, The results are very promising. Ispisua said, from UCAM and the Salk Institute, we are now trying not only to move forward and continue experimenting with human cells and rodent and pig cells, but also with non-human primates. Our country is a pioneer and a world leader in these investigations. Nunes says says the team has created a mechanism so that if human cells migrate to the brain, they will self-destruct. My God, this is horrific. The experiment raises ethical issues as other scientists fear the stem cells would develop a human central nervous system in the animal. Dr. Angel Raya, director of the Barcelona Regenerative Medicine Center, told El Pais, what, what happens if the stem cells escape and form human neurons in the brain of the animal? Would it have consciousness? And what happens if these stem cells turn into sperm cells? Oh my God, he's one step further on. 
The controversial research is restricted in Spain and only allowed for investigating into deadly diseases and therefore the team decided to work in China to avoid legal issues. You know, I mean, alarm bells, ladies and gents. Despite this, the research was largely largely funded by the UCAM as it's a project that costs hundreds of thousands of euros, Nunes is quoted as saying. She added the ultimate goal will be to create a human organ that could be transplanted, but the path itself is almost more interesting for today's scientist. Ispisua, 59, had previously conducted a human-pig hybrid, but failed, they reckon, as the human cells did not take hold, it's reported. The groundbreaking result uh, of the experiment left researchers questioning its accuracy. Pablo Ross, a veterinary researcher at the University of California, Davis, who previously worked with Salk on the human-pig embryo, said the project didn't make sense. He told MIT Technology Review, I always make the case it doesn't make sense to use a primate for that. Typically, they're very small and take too long to develop. Oh, so his problem was with the size, not the fact that we're messing with nature. For God's sake, people, wake up, watch some films. It never ends well. Hello, Bruce. Hello, Bruce. Hello, Catherine. How are you? I'm, fi- I'm frightened. I'm frightened of what we're doing. We're messing with nature and you know and I know how that ends in a sticky mess. Like the recent uh, revamp of the Planet of the Apes, that's exactly what that taught us. Oh, exactly. You know, those, just... those apes are firing guns. <laughs> what, this is what's going to happen. And it starts here exactly. with people messing about in Chinese laboratories. That's right. Anyway. Um, so I, I heard a few things. I came in a bit late. I apologise. But um, two of the things that I heard were uh, things you tell your kids. Yeah. So... Not, not, this isn't what I've told my kids, but this is what I was told when I was a kid. Two things that stuck with me. The first one is the classic, don't pull that face because if the wind changes, your face will stick like that. <laughs> yeah, we had that one as well. Well, I mean, like, logistically, I mean, I think they say that to you because when you're like four or five, whatever, you believe any old nonsense your parents tell yeah. you. Yeah. But there's absolutely no logic in it at all. If the wind changes, your face will stick like that. Oh, just amazing. And the other one was, um, if you pick your nose, you get, every time you pick your nose, you get a hole in your head. Oh, yeah. I always told my head would cave in. Yeah. Uh, but my granddad used yeah. to say, give me a, give me a wave when you get to the bridge. That was his favourite one. That, that said he'd spotted <laughs> you picking your conk. <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah. But my youngest daughter has always got her finger up her hooter and she eats them. And then she has the audacity to tell me she doesn't want to eat what I've made for her. And I say, but hang on a minute, mate. You've been eating bogeys all day long. That's probably the Still problem. Up. She's, full. Up. She's full. You know what? You know what? They actually say that you should do that. Um, they reckon there was some. I remember reading some uh, document from some Australia, Austrian institute um, where they said it's actually good for your immune system. Wow. To do that, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Here's the thing. Don't be coy, Bruce. We all think it's disgusting, and we all know what they taste like. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned. You were talking about Siegfried and Roy as well. Yeah. Right? Like, did you know Siegfried and Roy had two animated cartoons about them? Shut up. Yeah. I need to look this up. So one of them, I, I don't know if they're both series. One definitely was a series. One was a special where they used their magical powers um, as, like, superheroes. <laughs> right? And the second one, and this is what's quite funny about it, was about the tigers. <gasps> And it premiered, or was due to premiere, like literally weeks 
before the attack happened. Hang on a minute, I found it. And this is the this is the uh, Siegfried and Roy Masters of the Impossible, 1996, yeah. and this is the intro. This is the opening. When the dust demons are swept from the hearth and the kindling's been set ablaze, the mages sit by the fire and they call a once magic world called... Oh, they were German. A place of fairy queens and wishing wells, of unicorns, dragons, potions and spells. Ah, but Titan gods rage through Sarmothi one day, stealing all magic and powers away. Apparently this is your people's <laughs> in the Honestly, where's that accent from? There's a kid from California. Couldn't they just got an Irishman in? But this is terrible. Begins the new chapter, I think the other one was called like Father of the Pride or something. It's called what? I remember, I think it was called Father of the Pride. I remember all the animals talking. I saw a little bit of it. I remember the animals talking and Six Freedom Roy didn't voice themselves, if I remember, mm. but they were in it, but it was focused on the animals, and this attack happened, and, and obviously the, the cartoon didn't last um, very long. Hang on, here we go, this is on Wikipedia. Father of the Pride is an American animated sitcom created by Jeffrey Katzenberg for DreamWorks that was part of a short-lived trend of CGI series in primetime network TV. The series centres on a family of white lions, the patriarch of which stars in a Siegfried and Roy show in Las Vegas. Despite heavy promotion, the series was a flop and cancelled after one series season. Transmission and production were also delayed by the real life, ah, what you said, the real life on stage injury of Roy Horn in October 2003. What might have been? I know, it's it's incredible. Sounds like an absolute beauty. I um, I actually, when I went to Vegas, I went to see David Copperfield perform. Now that I would love to see. Well, the thing is, I've got to be honest, I mean, I do like magic, right? But I wasn't like looking forward to it that much it ended up though that i was involved in one of the illusions on stage oh yeah right go on what happened they 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 threw this ball out and you had to throw it keep throwing it around the audience and if it like they'd stop it every now and again and if you had the ball you got selected and there was about 20 of us that got picked and we all had to walk up on stage and they put us into two groups and some of us were stood on stage and the others were sat in these chairs, and there was like a row of, like a, a stack of chairs, like um, almost like stadium seating, right? Yeah. So people sat in those chairs, we stood by the side, the people in the chairs would then disappeared on stage, right? So they put this um, like sheet over them, and they had torches, so you could see them shining their torches. Then he did some magic, and he lifted up the sheet, and they were gone. And then they were flashing their torches from the audience. What? And I and I got and, and everyone afterwards because we went out for dinner afterwards. Everyone said, "Yes, you know." So what happened? I was like, "You saw what happened." I cannot tell you what happened because I have got no idea. They were next to me, and then they weren't next to me. I even now, like six, seven years on, I still can't get my head around what I saw because it was that close. There was no hint of a switcheroo. Or mirrors, no. or a trapdoor. No. I mean, I mean, obviously something like that must have been involved, but how it, how they actually did it, I've got absolutely no idea. So I would heartily recommend uh, checking out if you ever get a chance to go over there when when he's performing. That's incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. God, and how lucky were you to be right next to it all? I know, just 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 amazing.
just amazing. It's, uh, it's a funny place, Vegas. You it is. Yeah, I went for a weekend once because my sister used to be cabin crew. Um, so uh, I've been to a couple of places for the weekend. Um, Japan and Vegas. <laughs> and what? Yeah, Japan. I managed to sleep off the um, jet lag just as we were leaving, and we stayed pretty much in their version of Heathrow. So we were, <laughs> we were in Narita for the whole weekend. We tried to venture out at one point, but we got terribly lost and chickened out. I mean, it's it's the closest thing to feeling like um like ET that you'll ever feel because you can't work stuff out. Like if you're in Europe or a country where the alphabet is recognisable, you can work stuff out out there. We just walked along this railway track. We had this map. We wanted to get to this temple. And we thought, mm. well, if we walk along the railway track, we can't go wrong. So we were walking and walking and walking and walking for ages. And nothing was looking familiar. And we realised that we'd probably gone wrong. But we didn't know whether it, it would be foolhardy to stop or, you know, whether we were nearly there. So this girl came along on a bike. And we flagged her down and we said, excuse me, do you speak English? And she sort of said, yeah. And she looked at the map and I said, where are we on this map? And I swear to you, she looked at it for about 30 seconds, absolute silence, and it was really tense. She went, um, uh, you're not on the map. Apparently, oh. in Japan, they hate being the bearer of bad news. So, obviously, during that time, she's thinking, these two absolute plums are completely in the wrong direction, but how am I going to break it to them? Yeah, she hated telling us. So she said, I, said, I said, so where are we in relation to the map? And she's like... We were miles off, miles off. So that's why we didn't go to Tokyo, because we couldn't even manage the flipping same town. It was ridiculous. Anyway, oh, yeah, so I went, I went to Vegas, and I think it's the sort of place that is cool for a weekend. But I, I can't see why you'd want to go for any longer than that. It's like... No. For me, it felt like Blackpool with more money thrown at it. I, I felt like I was in a dome. Yeah. Because it's such a... like it, It's almost like it's its own bubble. Like, nothing is like anywhere else in the world. It is just so peculiar. Um, I was there for, I think, five days, six days. And by, by the end of it, I was, I'd had a great time, but I was quite prepared to come home. Yeah, you had enough. Um, I think, yeah, I, I don't understand anyone that would want to go there any longer. Um, look, just before I go, um, yeah. can I ask you, what's the cheekiest thing your kids have ever said to you? Oh, they asked me if I knew Jesus. <laughs> they asked me if I knew Jesus. But um, I can kind of understand why they did that, because they knew that Jesus was about 30 and I was about 30. I mean, they're being obviously uh, idiots because I'm well over 30. But, yeah, I think they just uh, <laughs> assumed that we should know each other. <laughs> yeah, those oh. um, those RE lessons at school really have not paid off. What about no, yours? What no. about yours? Uh, the reason I say that is because um, I recorded a podcast with my six-year-old the other day. Oh, brilliant. Um because she'd gone to see the, the new Lion King film, which I didn't like, but she'd gone to see it with her mum. Right. Um, so I was like, when you come home with your mum, let's, let's recall together. And um, the first thing out of her mouth was, you've lost your marbles, Daddy. Oh, wow. That, 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 old that, sa- that sounds like it didn't come directly from her, if you know what I mean. No, the thing is, no, because I, I would think that normally, but, you know, that is my daughter. So, no. Nothing surprises me. Wow. She me when we go out shopping all the time. I was trying to show her a, a toy the other week. I saw a toy in a shop. And uh, I thought, oh, she'll like this. So I, so I said, oh, Alex, come and look at this toy. And she went, that's very interesting, Daddy, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> she's humouring you and she's six. Wow. And, yeah. so, and so it begins. Hey, thanks for ringing, that's Bruce. Good. No worries. Good, good to talk to you. Bye-bye. You got me thinking. Uh, have you ever seen... I saw this documentary... 
and I'm sure I saw it, but I also wonder whether it was sort of a dream. A documentary about people who, who live in the storm drains under Vegas. Have you heard of this? Here's what I remember. And tell me if this sounds familiar to you at all, because it, it does sound like a fever dream, and I'm having a lot of those recently. The night nurse. But this was something I saw a couple of years ago, I think, and it was about people who live in the storm drains of Vegas. And what had happened was they'd gone to Vegas to gamble. They were gambling addicts. They'd gone to gamble, lost all their money, ended up sleeping rough, and then been taken into this community of people that live under the streets of Las Vegas. And there's loads of them down there. And they've kind of organised themselves into little social groups down there. So, you know, some won't talk to the others. Some are, you know, drug addicts, and they don't talk to the others who are just gambling addicts. And some think they're better than the others. And... And they'll go to, what it showed in this documentary was this guy going from casino to casino. That's what he spent his day doing and putting his hand in the slot machines to see if there's any change in there. And the only thing he would do if he found the money in there was put it straight back in there. It was like, it was incredible, that documentary. I can't, I've got the feeling it was like a BBC Three thing, but I, I couldn't tell you any more than that. I wish I remembered more. I'll have to look it up because it was something I'll never forget. The, the content of it, but obviously I can't remember what the title was, which is probably the most useful thing to you. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. if you want to give me a ring. Uh, let's have a word with Nigel. Hey, Nigel. Oh, hi, Kath. Oh, hello. I, I, today I treated myself to some batteries for the karaoke machine. Oh-ho! Because I want to go back into busking in, t- in the towns, back into busking, so that that would be interesting, won't it? It'll be good, won't it? Well, it'd be good for, good fun for me. Hang on a minute, hey, Nigel. I'm being told off because I'm supposed to have taken a break. Can you hang on a minute? I'll come back oh, to yeah. you. Oh, yeah. All right. Hold fire. Okay. We'll speak to you in a second. The Late Night Alternative with Catherine Boyle on Talk Radio. Sorry, Nigel. I cut you off in your prime there. Yes, Hi, hi again. Hello. Uh, did you have a good day today, Kath? Oh, oh, I had an all right day, but I'm looking forward to tomorrow because my, my, my husband's going to take the kids out so I can sleep. Yeah. Because I've had this Is cold that, for about that, four days, and it's not going anywhere, and I think I'm just going to have to give into it, dose up, mm. and, and rest. How many more weeks have they got off? God, I don't know. What, four? Oh, it's about six weeks altogether. Hang on, so I think they go back at the begin- the first week in September, so what are we now? Yeah. Oh, God, about four. Another two weeks, then. Yeah, three weeks. about four. Mm. I love them, but it is knackering, Nigel, I'm not going to lie. It's a long time, isn't it, to be off? Yeah. And you've got to be there a lot of the time, haven't you? They are, they are, do you know what? They've been hanging around for seven years and ten years respectively and they show no sign of leaving home yet. So yeah, they, I do have no. to be around, yeah. Are they about, about, uh, 14 then? No, they're seven Fif- and ten. Oh, sorry. They're little. I, they're little. Was, yeah. Anyway, uh, anyway. Can, I, can you hear me? This is okay, isn't it? Well, I've got it now, the mic, the, the phone. Yeah, it's perfect. Where are you? In your kitchen? Um, in the middle of the front, well, by, sitting on the sofa in the front room. It's like the neighbours are gone on holiday anyway, so I, I can make a little bit more noise. Aha. Uh-huh. Is this why you that thought about they've gone the, away for two weeks. Is this why um, you thought about getting the karaoke machine going again? <laughs> Tonight I'm going to be Whitney Houston. Are you? Yes. Ooh. Just as a, oh, hang on, I've got to switch it back on again. <laughs> that could have been so smooth, Nigel. <laughs> yeah, I've got to turn it back on. To get to the right, yeah. Tonight I'm going to be Whitney Houston, just as a laugh. You know, I'm not saying I'm gay or anything. I just listen, Nigel. No judgment. We've all got dreams. You can do what you want. Well, I just thought it's something different. Here we are to found the song. Um, So this is it. Okay, I'll do it now. Then go for it. Here we go. 
tonight. Mr. Sobering on my last video, this one. All right, I'll give you a big intro tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, hands together. Oh God, right. Well, just go. Yeah. Try and have it nice for him. He just won't appreciate. It's just a moment. It's all that we share. You've got your family, and they need you there. So I try to resist. Being the last on my list No other man Don't you So I'm saving all my love for you It's not very easy Living all alone my friends tried to tell me, find a man of your own. But each time I try, I just break down and cry. Cause I'd rather be home, really blue. So I'm saving all my love for you. They used to tell me we run away together, but love gives you the right to be free. Accept be patient, it's waiting a little longer, but that's just an old fantasy. Just a few moments more When I walk through that door Cause tonight is the night Of feeling alright Cause we're making love the whole night through So I'm saving all my love Saving all my love, saving all my love for you. Saving all my love for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, Nigel, that was a very sensual song. I, I must have come over a bit, a bit funny because I, I think it turned up a bit too loud. No, it came um, over beautifully. I like the bits yeah. at the beginning where it sounded like you were doing a duet with yourself. That's a skill. Yeah, uh, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean by that? Well, when you're going, you sort of went a few stolen moments. Yeah. And then it was you sort of did the man's version, and then the oh, woman. I was saying, well, I changed key. You got, exactly, you've got excellent I range. Key, but it's a difficult song for a man to sing, isn't it? Because it, it, it's a bit high, isn't it? Here's the thing. It's a difficult song for a woman to sing. She was a good singer. Very, very brave to take on a wind I need song. to practice more. Hey, no, you did a good job. Thanks very much for ringing, yeah, Nigel. Uh, uh, thanks very much, Kath. Speak to you soon. Yay, bye. Bye. 0344 is the number to call. I mean, you can do what you want. Sing me a song. Do me a tap dance, wherever you feel like. Andre. Hi, Kath. All right, evening. Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> uh, whoa, do you want to or do you want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, there's two <laughs> items on my agenda. <laughs> You've done that before. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I always, I've got two items on my agenda, yeah? Excellent. Right, now, do you want the first one or the second one? I don't first? really want either, but give me what you got. Well, the first one is, you know, you're just talking about, you know, being half of that. I think I'm a half a cat. Because I'm, I'm pure white, yeah? Yeah. With a really fluffy tail. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm, I'm perfect in every way. Yes. But to go with that, you can lick your own bum. Lappy. You do I've what? Got, I've got some on my lappy for you. Wow. I, think I can top the last fella's one, yeah? <laughs> How could you? How could you anyone? For it? Well, listen, remember, I'm a white cat, yeah? Right. Here we go. Oh, it was a cue for a song, was it? Can you hear it yet? Not really. Can you bring it a bit closer? Yeah, I'll, I'll turn out a bit. Oh, God. It goes really. I can feel it brewing. So, look, have you done? <laughs> Is this the, the only one? Hey, little sister, who's your Superman? Hey, little sister, who's the one you want? Who's little sister shotgun? It's a nice day for a white wedding. It's a nice day to start again. You good? Nice day to start again. Hey, sister, is this you? You've forgotten the words, haven't you? I like it, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about you, Andre, wanna... is you never thought you'd get this far, so you didn't bother learning the words. Yeah, I liked it from a white cat. Right, I get it, I get it. Right, right, not, uh, right, let's turn out for a minute. Right, rocks and scissors? Go on, What then. you got? Scud missile. I got a tank. I think a missile could take out a tank. All right, then, um, all right, three, two, one, go. <laughs> what you got? What you got? Yeah, a, a destroyer. A destroyer? Ooh. Have an H-bomb. All right, uh, what, one, two, three, go, what you got? Uh, ooh, the bubonic plague. I've got an H-bomb, is that off? <laughs> <laughs> all right, one out of three, I'll let you have that one. Yeah, remember I'm a cat, yeah? I'm a cat. You're something. Thanks very much for ringing. Let's have a word with Jerry, quick, before the end of the uh, hour. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. by the way. Get those calls in, because I want to talk to you. Hi, Jerry. Hello, how are you doing, Kat? How are you, in this hot weather? No, not doing too well. Doing all right today, it's a bit cool today. But he's not doing too well when you go outside. No. It's felt like, I don't know what. Yeah. Point is, I'm doing all right. Yeah. Still, still surviving. Good. I'm glad to hear your voice. Yeah, I'm a family, not too bad here. Yeah. Very excited. Yeah. I've for ages. No, I know. Because, to be honest, the last few times you've called, it's been quite hard to work out what you're saying, because I, I, I think... Yeah, when you're in... Yeah. When you're in Belfast. weird of us. I remember. Saying that. Well, that's good to hear. you It's good to hear you keeping on, Jerry. You take care of yourself. I've got, I'm going to have to go, because we've got the news coming up. The news, you're a dollar Jews. <laughs> God, I'm glad I didn't understand what that was. Jerry, thanks very much. 03444991000. Stick with me. I've got two more hours of this nonsense. The Late Night Alternative with Catherine Boyle. You never know just where the conversation will take you on Talk Radio. 
Dr. Phil. I got your ring upon my finger, your bells on my toes, and I got everything that every woman longs for. I suppose what I feel like you are threading a silver sheen right through my nose, Dr. Phil. You better lose your hold on me. I do not like feet, Dr. Phil. Is not the way I do things. Can't get worse, might get better. Has always been my way of thinking. But you have trapped me on a boat that's filling up and swiftly sinking, Doctor Phil. You better lose your hold on me. I do not like being Doctor Phil. Four 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 nine nine one thousand. You're listening to the Late Night Alternative. I'm Catherine Boyle, and we've got two hours of whatever you fancy coming up. Uh, I've got some stories. Like, I mean, we've if you're just joining us, you've missed the human monkey clones. Coming up though, the mum in a plant pot uh, and the exploding toilet. But also whatever you fancy. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. By the way, Andrew, we're trying to call you back. Please answer your phone. Unless you've had, I don't know, a better offer, which is always good on a what is it, Tuesday? Just gone eleven o'clock on a Tuesday. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Let me tell you Oh yeah, the, we were talking earlier on about uh, Vegas and kind of all the glitz and glamour above the ground, but underground I seem to remember there's a like massive homelessness problem and people are living rough in the storm drains turns out it wasn't a fever dream um i found this uh, article here the secret world beneath sin city on the bbc website because I, I seem to remember it was a bbc documentary i'd seen where these people who had gone to vegas to you know have a gambling weekend and never left because they had a gambling problem were living in the storm drains um the state of nevada according to this bbc thing from 
God, ages ago, 2009, has one of the highest rates of homelessness in the U.S. But even though there are more than 14,000 homeless people in Las Vegas, it's easy to spend a weekend in Sin City and never see signs of a crisis. Most tourists take in Vegas from the interior of a casino, slot machines, blackjack tables, cocktail waitresses and impossibly tiny outfits. If you're willing to pay the price of admission, a lift can transport you to more excess upstairs with rooftop pools and lavish suites, blah, blah, blah. But... If you take below, go below the sunken lounges and past kitchens and utility closets through layers of concrete into the ground beneath the casinos, you'd see another different version of the city. Uh, Matt O'Brien, a Vegas writer, has been exploring this underworld for several years. In 2007, he published a book, Beneath the Neon, about exploring the 300 miles of tunnels that crisscross beneath the strip. I'd seen it in this documentary. It was incredible, incredible. You know, I know... I've, a really close friend of mine is a gambling addict. I can completely see how it can take over your life. He's been really lucky and he's got onto the 12-step program, but it, it threatened to take everything. So I can completely get how you would end up living underneath, I don't know, underneath the casino and going up. And this is the thing about this documentary that really struck me was the fact that they would go in and check the slot machines for any excess change that people had left behind. And instead of feeding themselves, they just stick it back in again. It's just incredible. Um, Haley thinks she might have found it. Um, and so I'm going to retweet what Haley sent me. Haley's doing the phones tonight, by the way. Um, the people living in the tunnels underneath Vegas. It's a journeyman TV documentary. If it's not the one I saw, it's one that's pretty similar. 0344 If you know the title of the one I'm talking about, which I'm pretty sure was like a BBC4 thing. Um... But it's incredible. Should we have a look? I don't know if it's any, if it's sweary. Hang on. Let's have a go. Hang on. Let me just make sure I've got everything else switched off on my computer. Otherwise, you're going to get all sorts. Uh, not that, you pervert. Right. Okay. Let's try this. Let's go. Zero, 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 one. And just keep working your way up. If you get you all nines and you still don't have it. And something's wrong. It's a guy playing with a combination lock. Sometimes a city is not what it appears to be. Even early in the morning, Las Vegas shines and sparkles. The neon lights seem to have a magic. No, this isn't it. it. I would remember that delivery. No, it wasn't that. That wasn't it. I'll find it at some point tonight. And if you remember it, if you can help me out, that'd be really helpful. Uh, 03444991000. Tweet at Talk Radio or at Flipping Cath, which some of you do. Thanks very much for your messages. Um, or you can text talk and your message to 87222. Oh, here's Andrew in Vegas. Hang on a minute. This is the man I'll know. Hi, Andrew. Okay. Hey, so. Hello, can you hear me this time? Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. So. Oh, that's good. Have you heard about these people living in the storm drains? Have you seen them? I have. I've. Uh, I don't know. It, it's tricky. There are a lot of unfortunate people who have you know, down their luck or homeless or, or whatever um, who you see out on the streets. I've seen pictures of what it's like down there, but I wouldn't go there. As a local, you don't, you wouldn't really mess and, and go down there because there's, there's all sorts going on, you know. Um, but it does exist. Um, it's, it's, it's quite, it is quite sad because, you know, people have got all sorts of different issues and problems and, uh, there was some stuff there to help people out, but probably not enough. But is there ever enough? Um, and also to make it worse, it, even though it doesn't rain here very much and, it's, uh, but when it does, the, the storm drains are talking about there, the water just comes gushing down from the, uh, from the mountains 
straight under the strip and out to Lake Mead and those who are not really in control of themselves uh, do perish that way so oh it God. is it is quite quite sad um but there's also you know those that do uh, choose to live that way and and they're happy with it um it's is how some people choose to live, I guess. Yeah, um, I, I seem to remember in this documentary there was a there was a couple that lived down there, and they were that, that, that exactly yeah. as you say, they chose to live there. They thought that this is just the way we we're living, and it's it's uh, alternative, but we're happy this way, and that's the end of that. Yeah, and they, they make themselves their own sort of homes under there. So within these massive um, uh, chambers and uh, under bridges and so on that goes under, you can't really see lots of it just from street level, but. Uh, from the photos I've seen, and you might have seen this, yeah. what you're talking about, they they build beds, they build structures out of pallets and whatever else. They they kind of build their own little little um, city under there, if you like, of yeah. uh, their own of their own life. And you know what, it, it works for them, and uh, and and good luck to them. Um, but there is definitely a kind of a major homeless situation here. You know, when you get to a weekend, most street most major street corners will have somebody on there with a bit of card. Um, begging for money or, or trying something. So, uh, but it's um, it is also it's a very safe place to live. It's, it is a great place to live as well. I've been here for two and a half years and absolutely love it um, for various reasons and not to do with living in a in a casino. It's, really, it's a brilliant way of life. There's loads of outdoors. There's an hour from from being stood in my kitchen. I could be on a on a ski lift going up a mountain, going snowboarding for a day. I could be on my kayak in the river. Could be hiking. It's just it's a stunning, stunning place. Yeah, Not I suppose you, because you, who knows. Yeah, because if you look at it and you presume it's just the strip, it's pretty soulless, that kind of place, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's fun. But on the flip side, you've also got this incredible entertainment. So you've got performers from all around the world that, that come and play here. So I called up a few weeks ago and said um, I was just going to see Paul McCartney. And, uh, and I stood in my kitchen one Saturday morning thinking, what should I do? Uh, here in Paul Carney's in town, should I, shouldn't I? And and I think uh, you and Ian both just said, do it. Oh, God, so, of uh, course you should, I yeah. I did, and, and that, yeah. And within 20 minutes of leaving my house, I can be in this arena seeing seeing legends like that. Yeah. Um, and we've got Lady Gaga here now. Don't get me sold on the price of her tickets, they're crazy. But uh, there's there's all sorts, and there's, it's brilliant entertainment. So it, we're very, very lucky here. Is it the sort of Lots thing of where, I know that they've got a constant flow of people who are prepared to pay the prices, but is it a matter of if you hang around or you know the right people, you might get a cut price ticket as a local? Um, kind of, yeah. Um, I've got connections with, with one of the, the shows um, here, which I can get into pretty much whenever I like. Um, but there's also something here called House Seats, which is open to, I, I don't think it's restricted only to Las Vegas residents, but there is a, a scheme you can sign up to where you get, um, you pay, I think it's about $100 a year, and then you get um, invites to various different events, and it could be anything from a small gig to, to major shows and uh, things that are trying to fill up seats. Um, I, I've heard rumours, I don't know how true it is, that towards the, uh, the end of, I think, Celine Dion's um, uh, stay here, that, um, that it wasn't that busy if it wasn't for um, people who were on this uh, this mailing list and just being given tickets all the time. So yeah. you, you can you can get in. Um, a lot of it also is given out to like the winners of uh, like you've got people staying in hotels, the high rollers and so on. They get given out tickets from the hotels to try and keep people there. Oh God, yeah, they treat them like kings. Hospitality they? tickets. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and hospitality here for that sort of thing is is great. Um, I, I know somebody who got me into one of the uh, the Golden Knights games, which is the the local hockey, um, which is a show by itself. You know, it's, it's just a game of ice hockey, but 
uh, all of a sudden it's in Vegas, therefore it's uh, glitz and glamour and lots more fun than it could be anywhere else. What do so, the, uh, what do the actual bad. Las Vegans do for fun? Because they can't want to go where all the tourists are. No, a lot of them gamble. Um, locals will use the strip, um, like, like I do, to go down there for a bit of entertainment if there's something going on, going down there to see a game and so on. Um, otherwise, yeah, it, it's gambling, it's, it's outdoor life. Um, it's uh, we've got the the Raiders football team coming here soon, which is of course American football. They're yeah. moving here. Got a brand new stadium coming. We've got a brand new baseball stadium. Um, there's there's everything. There's all sorts of entertainment. Um, there's there's a whole lot. Two million people live here, so it's it's far beyond the, the strip and the the sort of expanse you'll see around the strip yeah. with sort of the outlying sort of industrial estate. Yeah, because that's, that's, that's what it I'm felt about, like to but, me. It was like you had the strip and then it yeah. kind of just petered out, you know, either side of it. Yeah, that's, that's right. It, and that's what I thought until I came out here and gave it a try before I relocated. And yeah. uh, I'm about eight or nine miles in a straight line from the strip up towards the Red Rock Mountains. And uh, from there I can look down the valley across to the strip and I've got grass, I've got trees, I've got hummingbirds that feed from in my garden oh, from, wow. the, from the feeder. It's just... Beautiful, absolutely stunning. Are you there for um, good? But do then you think, mix then? with that, you could. Uh, I think so. I don't know. Let me see where life takes me next. But um, who knows? But there's coyotes. There's owls that will take a small cat or a small dog or something. There's uh, uh, there's mountain lions that if you go too far into the mountains, you might come across. There's there's all sorts of wildlife here, which is um, not too pleasant, as well as the beautiful stuff. Blimey! And you've been there two years now. Yeah. Sounds like you're completely bit, yeah. sold on the place. Absolutely. It's, it's great. It's a great place and it's scorching hot at the moment, but the heat's not too bad because it's mostly dry heat. It was, I think it was 47 degrees when I was calling home the other day yeah. and uh, it's, you can't even imagine it, but uh, as somebody who never used like hot weather, it's it's fine. You, you deal with it. It's uh, You change the way you live and what you do and how you do stuff. Yeah, that's the thing. You, you can't um, live the same sort of lifestyle that you were living at home i imagine it's like when i go and stay with my friends in 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 spain and they're going you know they're not just lying around a pool all day they've got to go to work but they modify nah. their behavior right so you sit in the aircon for as yeah, long exactly, as possible yeah. you pay extra for yeah, seats exactly, in the yeah. shade you know <laughs> oh yeah but uh, air conditioning here so because we don't we're not fortunate like you're in the uk to be able to shop around for your electricity and chain supplier here you've only got the the, uh, the standard the, the state supplier um so there's only one company, and if you run your air conditioner most of the time through the summer months, you're probably talking about $350 a month for air conditioning. Good God. So it's a huge electricity bill. Wow. Um, plus, of course, because it's so hot here, uh, um, and in the winter it gets so cold, the houses don't have, have insulation, so in the winter you're paying similar amount of money for your gas and electricity to run the, uh, the, the climate system for the winter. So um, it's, yeah, it, it's not cheap. They got but, you. Uh, like I say, you do get used to it. You, you learn to adapt. Yeah. Yeah, of course they have. They've yeah. always got you. Yeah, it doesn't matter but whether you're that side of the Atlantic or this one. The energy companies always know how to play the game, don't they? <laughs> nice to hear from yeah, you, Andrew. But I have got, um, oh, yeah, go on. I've got Ian and Cass Motorcycle Club going on here. So oh, I'm, have I'm you? wearing my Ian and Cass Motorcycle Club t-shirt on the right. I've got it's, to take uh, my scooter <laughs> for the MOT on Saturday and I'm a bit worried it might not pass. It's very old. Oh, no. Well, we'll oh, see. no. Well, we don't have standards like that here. There's no MOT standard. Oh, really? Um, you don't need to have it. Yeah, you could do a smog test and that's it. So make sure the emission's okay. Yeah. If anything's falling off it, they don't mind. And I've seen cars driving around here that don't even have a bonnet on, on, on them because it's been ripped off for some reason. And somehow it's still roadworthy. 
Wow. It's, uh, so yeah, if your right. bike was here, you'd be okay. Well, listen, good luck with it. it may be that I'm trying to flog you one in about four days time, so stay tuned. <laughs> Thanks no, for phoning, no. Andrew. Take care. I know you won't go, he's not going to ride my little hairdryer. He rides a proper bike. Hey, Alistair. Hey, Cal, you okay? Yeah, how are you now? Well, I know, I know you've, you've had a cold. Oh, God, yeah. Sorry about that. That's all right. Uh, I didn't get it from um, you, don't you? I have to apologise. No. But I do worry about you, because all that you've got on, all the driving you've got to do, and the preparation for your show <laughs> and everything, and all that, and I think you and Ian, you show tremendous fortitude. Oh, yeah. Pride of Britain. We no, we're fine. <laughs> we're a couple of chances who get paid to mess about and make each other laugh. It's brilliant, and you know, you sound like my dad about the driving and stuff, and it is a long way, but I wouldn't Sorry. do it. If I didn't, no, it's fine. I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it. You know, and the, no, and the alternative know. didn't bear thinking about, frankly. Uh, well, it's brilliant. Anyway, look, I've done a bit of research on the net on your behalf. And I don't know whether this is, he, he kind of copied what you were talking about, but Ross Kemp. I think it was that, you know, a few people. Ross Kemp did a, a, an episode of Extreme World. Yeah. Uh, series three, and one of the episodes is called Las Vegas. It's that one. I'm pretty sure it's that one. Because um, I read the description and it describes about the things that you mentioned about the, the gambling and the, uh, selling of sex and all the rest of it so it sounds pretty grim yeah it does i mean it does and it's the fact that they're they're living underground and as andrew said it's they're in storm drains which have been put there for a reason yeah so these people are establishing their lives down there and every once in a while they just get completely washed out and some of them don't survive it it's incredible and it's incredible that you've got this immense wealth like outrageous wealth absolutely just meters above them it's in, it, it really um yeah. stuck in my mind that documentary i'll have to have a look at it again i think yeah well now you mentioned i'll probably try and find it because yeah. um it's kind of a sort of just describes the world at the moment, doesn't it, with a lot of rich people, well, not many rich people on one side, and on the other side of the fence, a lot of poor people who struggle. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I won't go on about that, because uh, I get uh, pretty alright. But, it, I mean, it's just, um, I think it's very sad that certainly over the past ten years the world has gone the way I have in terms of... Um, the distribution of wealth and, and things like that. Has it any? Has it ever been fair, though? Well, I think it's been fairer, but probably right. Basically, there's always been the haves and the have-nots. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, but it, I think I think it's it's interesting that I think in the past that um, there were communities that looked after. Um, the more unfortunate amongst us, better than it's happening at the moment. Ever since, I think, David Cameron's sort of uh, uh, thing he went on about, about the big society, which meant that basically we leave everything to uh, private companies and charity to look after mm. the vulnerable. You know, I think it's gone downhill. Was but, that the uh, same thing as him going on? Uh, oh, no, that was austerity, wasn't it? We're all in this together. Yeah, yeah. That that was the forerunner of austerity, yeah. yeah. So, um, but it, I, I just think it's it's really sad because I mean I'm I'm sure that um, what uh, another thing which which isn't mentioned is whilst everybody's um, you know it's a full time job for them to make ends meet, 
uh, a lot of these people miss out on um, creative opportunities. They don't have the chance to express themselves in in terms of art and in terms of um, trying to write the songs better because they don't get the same opportunity yeah. that um, the richer people have. And I mean, that's, that's a loss to the nation as well, I think. And, um, you know, I know that's, I'm sounding very serious now. I'm sure Ian wouldn't. wouldn't <laughs> we might. We, are, we all have our moments. No, it's true. It's true. And, I, and that thing that you were talking about, about the, you know, the arts being dominated by um, people who were wealthy enough to be yes. supported while they're trying out and while they're starting out. I mean, we've got a whole generation of, you know, privileged Etonian type actors who are yeah. doing really well in Hollywood at the moment. But what happened mm-hmm. to the what happens to the other lads? You know, the people that start yeah. having the, in the Shane Meadows type thing. That that's kind of the only outlet for them, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. I mean, I could ask you a question in your particular um, arena. What, yeah. what are opportunities for people wanting to start radio? I'm I'm thinking probably not many. It's difficult. But you kind of, it's one of those things where you have to believe you'll be the exception because, yeah. you know, how many people actually get to, there are a lot more people working in radio who are not in front of a microphone. So it depends yeah. what you're aiming for. Um, opportunities behind the mic. Yeah, there are limited, there's a limited number of seats and they've become more limited now because, you know, a lot of the commercial stations have decided that they're going to go national and they nationalise yeah. their, you know, main uh, breakfast and drive time programmes. And so that's jobs gone up and down the country. So, yeah, it's uh, it's difficult, but it's one of those things where you've got to believe you're the exception. And yeah. you wouldn't go for it. So you started that in journalism, didn't you? I so did, I mean, yeah. that was probably a good end. I yeah. did. And that was because my dad was a journalist Um and I've got to admit, I, my first lot of work experience was because my dad knew people. But, oh, okay. You know, and, and that that kind of goes with everything. I think if my dad was a builder and I wanted to be a builder, you know, he'd get his yeah. mates to take me on. That's no different in any trade, is it? But yeah. I also think that, you know, if you're no good at it, the door will be closed just as soon as it's open. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So um, did your dad, if you don't mind me asking, what, what sort of journalism, journalism did your dad do? Well, this is the thing. He was a sports journalist, so nothing to do with what I wanted to do at all. Oh, talk sport? No, he didn't, no, he didn't work at talk sport. He worked for a long time. He worked uh, at the Express for a while. He's worked at a mall because he kept getting made redundant. Because, you know, the oh, newspaper, right. newspaper circulation's been in trouble for years. Yeah, that's right. So he's worked at most places. Um, I think for the most time it was probably Daily Mail sport he was at. I think he was at the Sunday Times for a while. And then he got to this age where, and this is what happens to women when they get to um, sort of childbearing age, where you start yeah. to think, hang on a minute, they're they're shelving me, they're bringing people up who are not having kids or who are head, you know, who are a bit older than me, and they've yeah. started to look at me in a different way. And it yeah. happens to women, and then if you're lucky and you persist, you can kind of catch up with yourself if if that's what you want to do, and you you know. Yeah. As long as you've got a decent support network and, you know, and you can almost make it like you've not got children to the boss. Do you know what I mean? It's that. Yeah. But yeah. with my dad, he got to about 50 and he started to see that he was being kind of sidelined a bit or seen as expensive. And they were bringing oh, right. younger kids up and getting him to mentor them. And then he'd realized that actually they were being groomed to take over certain parts of his duties. And, mm. and his generation of journalists were kind of being retired off you know um or certainly not promoted any further 
it's yeah. it's a bugger and i think that for men it comes later you know for women it's something that comes earlier where you realize that it's actually not about how much work you put in sometimes it's just assumptions that are made about your age or the stage you are at your life and it must be not easy going through that because you see your kind of um, longevity dissolving in front of your eyes, yeah. I'm guessing. Also, so. you've been at the top of the tree, you know. You've been at the top of the tree yeah. and never bothered by things like that. You know, as a heterosexual white bloke, you know, yeah. he, he was running the thing. And then all of a sudden he, he, he realises he's been put on a different pile and it's the old the old gits pile, <laughs> the expensive yeah. old man pile, you know, white male and stale, all that stuff. And it, I uh, think it was difficult. I think it was really difficult and I don't think that's I unusual. I must be proud of you though, I'm guessing. Yeah, but he's one of those people that very rarely shows it. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, well, he's one of those. me to ring him and have a word with him. <laughs> <laughs> he does it now and again, but he was always the kind of dad where if I got 98% on a test, he'd ask me where the other 2% was. Oh, no. But I, he was kind of joking. He was kind of right. joking. Hopefully. But not, in, but not entirely, do you know what I mean? And it take, no. it's taken me a long time to realise that um, I'm never going to get the backslapping kind of dad that that I was looking for and that's fine too and I should stop looking for it you know I'm, 40, I'm 42 and his and his approval still means loads oh yeah well by and large um I mean unfortunately my parents are both gone now but um you know we love them and we love them yeah, yeah. so anyway look nice talking to you and um, yeah so um Ross Kemp Extreme Worlds Series 3, and the episode is called Las Vegas. Thank you very much, Mr. Cfax. I appreciate your phone call. Oh, three four 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 nine nine one thousand. And also talking about parents and how they may not be with us forever is reminding me of another story I wanted to tell you about in a second, about the mum in a plant pot. Hold your fire. It's a belter. The Late Night Alternative with Catherine Boyle. Speech radio with a difference. Talk radio. Okay, so if you've lost anyone and they've gone for a cremation, you are left with the conundrum of what to do with the ashes. And some people turn them into rings, I've seen that. Uh, some people turn them into sort of crystal ornaments. Well, this woman has decided to turn her mum into a pot plant that she com- controls remotely through her smartphone. So do you remember, you're probably too young to remember this, people through the glass, but um, when I was a kid there was this thing called the Adventure Game where one of the alien lords had been turned into an aspidistra plant and he used to sort of um, move around in this tall plant pot and wibble about. Do you remember this? You won't remember this. It was great. But if you want, I remember thinking it was magical, that show. But you watch it now and the effects are absolute pony. But anyway, it just reminded me of this. So Sarah Rodriguez's remains have been placed in a high-tech plant pot which sits on her daughter Elizabeth's porch in sunny California. This woman's been posthumously turned into a pot plant that sits in her daughter's porch and is remotely monitored through an app. Uh, Sarah Rodriguez died in 2017 and her daughter Elizabeth knew she didn't want to opt for a typical burial or cremation. Once the 91-year-old's body had been taken to the crematorium, her ashes were returned to her daughter and placed in a biodegradable urn. This was then buried inside a specialist plant pot uh, alongside the seeds of an olive tree. As the months went by, the urn broke down into the soil, allowing the remains of the nonagenarian to be consumed by the sapling as it broke through the soil and into the world above. Sounds quite poetic, doesn't it? 
Now the tree form of Sarah sits on the porch of her daughter's home in California, growing a little each day in an automated plant pot that Elizabeth monitors from her phone. Oh, I thought it moved about. I think it just tells her when it needs watering. Boring. I thought she was going to move it about and like talk to it and stuff. Now that I would do. I'm not wishing my mum away, but when she goes, I would do it that way. Elizabeth said, my mum was a religious person, so we chose an olive tree because of its biblical sense and also because it symbolises peace. We wanted to keep it small so it would fit on the patio. I don't think that is biblical. Every time I go out the door, I'm reminded of my mum. I don't see the ashes, I see a representation of my mum. Sarah is one of the first people in the world to have the remains of her, of her body buried in a pot plant courtesy of a Spanish company called Bios. For the bulk of its 16 years operating, Bios has been selling biodegradable urns into which the ashes of someone's dearly departed are placed along with seeds of a tree, shrub or plant. Once dug into the ground, its roots begin to take hold and the dry calcium phosphate, sodium and potassium of the ashes help the plant above to flourish. We get it. We get how trees grow. In 2018, the company's second product, the Bios Incube, went onto the market following a successful Kickstarter campaign. The advantages it has over uh, its parent product are clear. Not only can the remains of a loved one be kept much closer, those without a garden or access to public green space can watch as their deceased is transformed from fauna to flora from the comfort of an inner-city living room or university halls. What? The likelihood of lovelorn teenagers carving their names into the bark of your grandma are also significantly reduced. While any bereaved person could technically dig the ashes of a loved one into a plant pot and toss a couple of seeds on top. Exactly. I was thinking this. This is going to be expensive. Why do it this way? The DIY method has one fund fundamental flaw. Watching the herb that, they put these words in just for me because I'm heavily medicated and herbivorous is difficult to say. Watching the herbivorous incarnation of your beloved grandmother wither on your windowsill is not the best way to work through the grieving process, nor is returning home from a week's holiday to discover your neighbour has forgotten to water the shrubbery version of your father. I don't think the mirror has taken this seriously. Elizabeth is mercifully free from such fears. Not only does her mother's plant pot have a self-watering system that's triggered by sensors attached to the soil's surface, levels of light exposure, electrical conductivity and atmospheric temperature are monitored. How snazzy. That is going to be expensive. Real-time data about the plant's health is then sent to the user's phone. It's a real worry that the plant could die, explained Elizabeth, a retired special needs teacher, in case you were wondering. Every day I go out there to check on mum. I'm not going to let it die. I went away to Puerto Rico and I was receiving updates about the plant through my phone. If the plant is there when I die, then it's my daughter's problem. She'll have to look after it. Imagine that legacy. A year after Sarah was put inside her pot, little ollie dwarf fruitless tree that has grown from her has reached about 20 centimetres high. After a bit of trial and error, Elizabeth... And her wife, uh, Jean Arce, found the perfect spot. Don't laugh at Arce. It's perfectly normal Spanish name. Found the perfect spot for Sarah on the porch of their retirement home in Orange County, California. There, Sarah, who spent the whole of her life de devoted to the Pentecostal church, her children and husband can grow into a bigger and bigger tree. Um, Elizabeth added, I know my mum's in heaven, but she's also in my heart. This plant just reminds me of her. Well, I'm gutted because I thought that was going to be a movable plant pot that she could talk to. And it just turns out it's a plant pot that senses when it needs watering. Rubbish. I've just wasted five minutes of my life and five minutes of your life. And I'm very sorry about that. 
Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth doesn't know anything about it. She's in California. And of course, Sarah is now an olive tree. She doesn't care about anything like that at all. So apologies for that. When someone invents a, a, a plant pot that can move around like that one uh, that used to say Gronda Gronda, then I'll be interested. The Late Night Alternative with Catherine Boyle on Talk Radio. Well, apologies again for that waste of time story. I mean, it's all very nice and everything. And, you know, my heart goes out to Elizabeth and sorry for your loss about, you know, your mum and all that. But when they said about it being a, a smart plant pot, I thought that it would be something that sort of trundled around and had some sort of personality to it. It's just a plant pot that tells you that your plant needs watering, for heaven's sake. Um, you know, I can see why you would want a flower or a... I'm terrible with gardens, though. I mean, it would just... It would be heartbreaking. I would lose my loved one a second time if I was to put my loved one in a plant. Um, probably better off with, I don't know, what's wrong? I don't know, what's wrong with sticking them in an urn like anything else? Hello, Jackie. Hi, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm, I'm just going to talk to you about. We've got forests and things in this country where you can go and be planted with a tree and things, you know, but you can't put plaques or things up or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, it's not like heads, you can't put headstones and things like that. It's just, but I read about them, I said, this is the way things are going because funerals are so expensive. We don't know what are gonna be, is gonna be happening in, say, if I'm here 20, 30 years time. It might be cremation only. It, you know, there's not gonna be enough burial plots no. if they wanna start well, digging up sides of motorways and things, don't they? Well, there's doing... been, there's talk of that, isn't there? And I think yeah. that's probably an extreme example at this point. But we haven't got infinite land to use for yeah. it. And it does seem like a, to be honest, and I know that it's, when it's your loved one, if you feel like you want something special for yeah. them and it, and you want some sort of marker on the earth to show that they were there. Yeah. But it's, it's a lot of money, isn't it, really, for something yeah. that yeah. My, doesn't my, mean anything to the rest of the world? Yeah, well, we've got a thing in our family. My, my sister, my, my lovely sister, a bit older than me, she lives in Cornwall and we're all over the country. So she said, it's pointless everyone coming down to, to our funeral for a 15-minute service, because we're not religious, we're not all this, that, that. And I, and we, 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 she sent us a letter saying her wishes were to do this, and we call it click and collect. <laughs> so I said, what are you getting click and collect then? She went, well, yeah, basically, because it still kind of cost her over uh, £1,300. But her and her partner said, when we die, wherever we are, we'll be collected, cremated, and ashes returned. Wow. Pointless, and but it's still thirteen hundred pounds because you've got to have the creme and all this. Yeah. So the standing joke in our family said, I said to my kids, I don't want a funeral. I don't want all this ooh, howling and wailing at funerals and things and whatever. I said, just do a click and collect. So that's what we call it in the family now. I think that's it's, beautiful. Yeah, click and collect. Come and get me. Send me off. And I said, and if the kids, if you want to put me in the in the ground with a nice tree somewhere where you can think, you know, you can come and see me and whatever. You do what you want yeah. and then go and have a drink. Our oh, Janice just said to me, said to us all, just go to your nearest pub. Go all, If you can all get together, go and raise a glass and say, all the best, hon. Yeah. See you soon. Bye. And that's it. I think, so, I think you've got it sorted. But then again, I'm not religious either and I don't really yeah. think I believe in an afterlife or anything like that. And yeah. I also don't want my kids feeling like they have to go somewhere extraordinary to see yeah. me because the whole point is, you know, you'll, as far as I'm concerned, 
you live on in the memory of your loved ones. And as long yeah. as you've made a, a positive impact, that's job done. They don't need mm-hmm. to go to visit you. You're there with them. Yeah. Now, we because we were grieving when my mum died, and it's uh, 20 years this year since we lost my mum, we actually decided, we were all sitting there in the funeral place, and she had a, f- a few savings things, insurance things that I found in her drawers, because she lived with me for seven years. And um, I went... Oh, right, so she's got these insurance policies, didn't know anything about and it just about covered the funeral, it's about yeah. to be 3,000 something, but we just kept it really basic, we didn't have a big car, we just had the hearse, and we all went in our own cars, but we had a, a ashes um, buried in a, um, a little church in the, here in Morton, so we still go and see her, and then I look at her and think, why did we put you in the ground, Mum, why didn't we just go and do something nice and sprinkle you somewhere, you know, so she's there, and we had to pay something like, I think it's £250 just for that little plot. Wow. And things like that. But when I, every time I go and we, on our anniversary of a death, and we go and put flowers on, and we take a picture to send round to the family who can't get there, yeah. and they'll go, thanks very much. I go, yeah, you're welcome. Aldi specials, but they're really good flowers. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and they are. They last weeks and weeks. But when I look and I go, why did we put you in there? Tell you why you do it, because you go into um, coping mode. Yeah. When, when things like that happen, you go, right, now, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. A- and so you just go, you know, it's like when you get married. All of a sudden, you know, you're thinking, right, I've got to do this, got to do that. Mm. What, why? Yeah. Just, just because everyone else does it, because it's tradition or because... But with yeah. with grieving, it's different. It's because yeah. you kind of cling on to something that is, yeah. you know... Just the three of us decided, three of us, it was six of us, so the three that were up here, my brother and my other sister were yeah. up here, and we all said, right, we do this. And I went, don't care, do what you want. She's yeah. born, you know, I lived with her for seven years. I looked after her and whatever. And it was a blessing when she went because she was really poorly. So, you know, but it was just that. And then every time I go up and tidy the grave up and we do this and we do that, and I look and I go, why Why did we put you in there? Yeah. But was it someone else in the family that wanted it? that? No, I don't know. We just sort of all sort, sort of sat there and looked at each other and go, what are we what supposed to do? Yeah, yeah, what do we do now? Because she didn't leave any sort of wishes or anything. She never spoke about it. Mm-hmm. It's very quiet, you know, very, she kept everything to herself and whatever. But when you're looking at and I say to me kids, don't be sorting funerals and going down to Landerkin and, oh, you know, we all have these, you know, put a couple of songs on wherever you are and have a good laugh and, I'll, you know, I'll be there still. And then go and put me somewhere in a nice tree or, you know, I say, in the, they do these bi- biodegradable pots and things and urns now that just go. So go and do something like that. If yeah. we've got one round here, go and do it. Tell you what, a yeah. friend of mine, when she lost her grandma, I mean, they are a little bit... <laughs> they're a funny family put it this way right <laughs> they all distributed the um the ashes amongst each other right so they all had like a little envelope of them mm. and whenever they went somewhere where the mum liked to the grandma liked to be they'd sprinkle a bit of <laughs> so she's like in a chip shop she, oh, she's oh, outside I can imagine. She's at the top of a mountain. <laughs> she's, she went on holiday. You know, so they did all this stuff, and every now and again, they'd be like, you know, in the Great Escape, where they're sort of kicking the mud out of the bottom of the uh, Oh, yeah, and trousers. opening the bottom of the trousers and just more, sprinkling it across the ground. There's a bit more grand there. Well, <laughs> if you've got time for this one, my, my partner's mum died uh, a few years. I've been with him 19 years now, so it was a couple of years after I met him, and then mm. his mum died. And... Um, they couldn't part with their ashes, but the the place they used was absolutely awful. They, she came back in like a plastic, in a blue plastic bag, you oh. know, sealed. Blimey. And then when they brought her home, his sister said 
She's all right. Well, she said she's sitting by the telly in a bag for life. Well, I just went into hysterics. And I said, that's it. That's your telly for you, that. I said, a bag for life. I said, really? Said, and she's by the telly and she leaves the telly on. She said, so she could do blah, blah, blah. Oh. And then she said, one day she was in tears on the phone. She went, I knocked the bag over and I've hoovered her up. <laughs> so she went, God. I went, you can't get any weirder than that. But they said, you know, I said to the kids, you know, if in time, you know, take a bit of the ashes, make some, you make jewellery now, don't they? You can yeah. get it put into well, diamonds just, and I'm things. I'm just looking, I've got a tweet, jewelry. I've got a tweet through here from Alistair, and it's three glass birds, and they look like that, do you know that Murano glass you get from Venice? Posh. Yeah. And they're made out of his late mum's ashes, he says here. He's got made, one made for me, one each for my sister and brother. Yeah. That's beautiful. But then yeah. again, what if you, you know, I've got two little kids. What if they get smashed? I'd be heartbroken. Smashed my mum. Probably go in a box in a cupboard somewhere. Oh, and say, oh she's, in, she's, she's under the stairs or something, you know what I mean? Well, my grandparents were in the wardrobe for ages. We used to joke they're in Narnia. Oh, I can't, yeah, can't believe we've, that one was in a bag for life. <laughs> and then in the Hoover bag, which is where she, she went, up. And then she said, I had to Hoover her up. So she said, I can't empty the Hoover bag because she's in there. And I just, I just went to pieces and I went, only, only your family, hon. I said, really? Oh I said, unbelievable. But anyway, but there you go. <laughs> Another light-hearted conversation tonight, Kath. <laughs> well, I was a bit worried when we started talking funerals, it was going to get dark, but I should have, uh, should have trusted in you, Jackie, because you well, turned it around. Yeah, well, at least nobody died when McDonald's closed in Liverpool did before the day, you know what I mean? No, but the way they went on, they might as well. Well, they might as well, mightn't they? Is that sorted out now? Is everyone all right? Oh, I presume so, yeah. Have they closed the helpline? Yeah, we were over there yesterday (laughs) for our anniversary. It was our 19th anniversary yesterday, so we went to Liverpool to... All the Irish bars and a few Guinness. I was going to say, you didn't go to there. McDonald's. He took you somewhere posher than that, didn't he? No, we ended up in Flanagan's having a breakfast, but it was really nice. There's a lovely Irish pub in um, in the cavern, uh-huh. by the cavern and all around there. So we always go in there for a drink. And somebody walked past with the breakfast and I went, I'm really hungry now. <laughs> so we ordered this breakfast and it was gorgeous, but that set us up for the day. We got home about 8, eight 9 o'clock last night. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I re- what I really like about Liverpool, and I didn't go until I was probably well it must have been late 20 i was pregnant in fact it was my my cousin's hen night and i got roped in and i shouldn't have gone really i was too <laughs> pregnant but they were brilliant what i really loved was it's a bit like newcastle in that it's not an area like that bit there near the cavern and, and all mm. that around that area it's not just york because sometimes you go out in the high street and up and down the country and you realise you're the oldest flipping swinger in town at the age yeah. of 40. Yeah. But there, like, all the generations are out and they're all in the same places and they're kind yeah. of all rubbing along together. It was brilliant. We go early. We, well, say early. We started at 10 o'clock yesterday morning, but we had a few Guinnesses and uh, we just carried on. But once it gets to sort of half past five, half six, half seven, yeah. when it gets really rowdy and everything, we go, right, we've had enough right, time. So we've had a nice day. St. Patrick's Day, we always go over Paddy's Day because they have such a brilliant atmosphere over there. But come half past six, when they're all getting off the trains and starting to come in, we go, right, bye, we've had a lovely day. <laughs> We're off. This is their and we, time. And we just let, yeah, let them get on with it, you know, and they're all singing down the streets. But everyone loves everybody else on Paddy's Day. It's a really good experience. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> so, but we went over yesterday and we had a lovely time listening to buskers in church streets and one thing and another so yeah we just we had a really nice time 19 years though jackie does it feel <laughs> it yeah <laughs> yeah well i was married for 15 years and then i met him in 2000 right. and um i came home i've been a, a weekend away with his sister and i came home on the sunday and he followed me down on the tuesday oh, blimey. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's still 11 years older than me as well, but, you know, we don't live together, so we're happy. <laughs> ah, that's the secret, is it? Yeah, about this is it. Yeah, this is how this one's worked out. You know, we, we went through all bad stages and whatever, but he, he's, 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 he's all right. He's mine. <laughs> He'll oh, do. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. It sounds great. Thanks very much for ringing, Jackie. All right, Kath. Have a good night. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 344 if you want to give me a ring. I mean, we start in one place with these conversations and end up completely somewhere completely different, so... Don't worry that you have to stay on topic because no one does. And I like it that way. Oh, all right. Well, I gave you a disappointing story from America. Let me give you one that I think will deliver on all fronts. Bolt of lightning ignited fart gases in women's se- woman's septic tank and made her toilet explode. You've heard the story now. Do you want to know the detail? Let's go for the detail. A woman's toilet was destroyed in a violent explosion. Tell me about it. That happens at my house all the time. Oh, no. After a bolt of lightning struck her septic tank and ignited the gases. Blimey. Mary Lou Ward was left terrified by the sudden blast (laughs) at her home in Port Charlotte, Florida on Sunday and says it was the loudest sound she's ever heard. She told Wink, I have no idea what Wink is, but it sounds brilliant, we have nothing now. We came in here, the toilet was laying on the floor, there's all pieces everywhere, pieces everywhere. There's a clip. I don't think she's going to swear. Should we try the clip? Let's see what she says. No time to react. It was the loudest noise I've ever heard. It just went boom. The Sunday morning blast shattered the bathroom toilet into hundreds of pieces. Used to be our toilet. We have nothing now. (laughs) Mary Lou Ward and her husband are not only without a toilet, but the indoor plumbing is destroyed. So is the septic tank. The odds just not in their favor. A lightning strike, chain reaction, septic tank to toilet explosion. We come in here and the toilet was laying on the floor. (laughs) There's all pieces everywhere, pieces everywhere. Their plumber says the lightning hit the methane gases from fecal matter built up in the pipes. Fecal matter. The house was on fire because we smelled smoke. And we looked outside and it was the smoke from the septic tank was coming out and it was smoke was coming out of there. More than 24 hours later, you can still see the damage in and outside of their home. The explosion caused their master bedroom window to shatter and the wards are still finding pieces of broken yard decorations across the property and in the street. It just did all of that damage and, you know, exploded things into the road and so on in a half a second. Grateful no one was at the right place at the wrong time. I'm just glad I'm not, none of us were on the toilet. That's the main thing. I mean, yeah, you've got to be grateful for those things. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Um, the entire plumbing system apparently ruined after the lightning hit the septic tank and ignited that gas. I mean, what must the neighbours be saying? When she said, I could smell smoke, I thought, but that's not the only thing you can smell. I mean, ah, wow. That was an act of God, that. Zapping her um, septic tank. Incredible. 0344 499 1000. We've got an hour more of this nonsense. I'd love to talk to you if you fancy giving me a shout. Um, you can phone us on that number, 0344 499 1000. And honestly, don't be shy. When you get on air, I know it's daunting, but once you get on air, it's just you talking to me. And I don't bite. I've been fed. Uh, God, that's such a mum joke thing to say. I've been doing that today. We started out talking, didn't we, about things that creep up on you that end up, you know, things your parents said to you that you end up saying yourself. There's one of them. Apologies for that. Um, you can tweet me at, at Talk Radio or at Flipping Cath, or you can text Talk and your message to 87222, and that's 25p a message. Alistair's still tweeting me pictures of um, his mum in the form of these lovely glass birds that he made. Really beautiful, Alistair, but... Wow, beautiful. 
terrified that someone would knock it off the shelf in my house. Just, uh, yeah, terrified. Oh, also lots of people reminiscing about the Aspidistry in the adventure game. Um, I'd forgotten that Bonnie Langford was in that. Hedy says, I remember wanting those different shaped coins so much. Weren't they called Dragma? And a man saying, Doogie Rev, Doogie Rev. Weren't they all really dragons? I don't remember that. And Tony Bennett says, Gronda, Gronda, Your Highness. Doogie Rev, was it, was it Stanley Unwin? Was it the guy that speaks backwards? Was that the guy from Adventure Game? We're talking about old telly, but Ian's not here, so who's gonna know? 0344 499 1000, we can talk about that. Uh, we can talk about, you know, places where you've put your, uh, loved ones once they've gone and you've got them in ashes form. Did you see the, um, Mortimer and White House this week? I don't wanna spoil it. They went fishing. Uh, but there was this lovely bit at the end, and if you saw it, oh, it was so touching and came out of nowhere. But anyway, you'll know what I mean and why I'm thinking of it when I'm talking about where you put your loved one's ashes. That's kind of a spoiler, isn't it? 0344-499-1000. That's 0344-499-1000. You're listening to Talk Radio. I'm Catherine Boyle, and this is The Late Night Alternative. The Late Night Alternative with Catherine Boyle. Speech radio with a difference. Talk Radio.
which is a mercy actually when I'm walking back to my car at one o'clock in the I morning. But I where know. I but where I live, you know, once everyone's in bed, you feel like you're the only person alive. You know, when you walk in, when I walk in the house at half past two in the morning, right. and it's um, so it is a really special time of the time of the day, especially like you say when you've got the sound of the rain against the window and. That's yeah, brilliant. you should appreciate everything you've got in life. Yeah. You know, it can okay. also make you kind of ch- mull over things that wouldn't bother you so much in the daytime. That's the other danger in the nighttime, isn't it? Uh, but listen, nothing bothers me. Let me tell you, Catherine, the only reason I rang in tonight is because you played those Juliet Turner songs. Good. And they have a special thing with me and my partner. And do you remember that? I was listening to your show last night. We had a partner who rang in and said uh, they have problems going on and all that. Yeah. With well, this is the couple that weren't together anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The one that's not together and they are together and all that. Yeah. And, uh, um, I have a partner. I've got a daughter, and I love them so much. And what brought us together was Juliet Turner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that's the only reason I'm banging tonight. I'm not a weirdo. I'm not this or that. My name's Kieran Morn. Okay. And the only reason I'm banging because you just clicked something about Juliet Turner, and that's what got to give out. That's what brought a, a beautiful child into this life. Well, that's magical. Thanks for sharing that, Kieran. Okay, and I just. I, Right, and I love your show. <laughs> um, I've had a couple of drinks. I just want to say, love your show, Catherine. All right. And Ian Boyle, and all that. <laughs> and Thanks very much, Kieran. Nice to hear no, from you. Did I say Ian Boyle? You did. <laughs> He's going to love that one. I'll tell him when he gets back. <laughs> See you later, Kieran. 0344 499 whatever your motive for ringing. I'd be glad to hear from you. And I know that it's a daft time of night. So if you're up, I'm up. If you fancy a chat, you know where to come. 0344-499-1000. You can tweet at Talk Radio or at Flipping Kath. Or you can text Talk and your message to 87222. I'm thinking in the next sort of half hour or so, we might delve back into chat. It's fate. If you've got nothing else to talk about, we could do that. Um, but what else would I have that we th- Oh, yeah, I saw this. And, and uh, me and Ian were going to talk about it last week, but things happened and, you know, stories fall by the wayside. But did you see this story about a kid from India who had 526 teeth taken out? Incredible, right? Oh, spoiler, they're not all massive, you know, fully formed teeth. Some of them are sort of tiny little sort of deposits, cal- calcium deposits, but still... That poor kid. More than 500 teeth have been removed from a child's mouth in India, doctors said. The seven-year-old boy had complained to his parents since the age of three that he had a swelling on the right side of his lower jaw. After four years of discomfort, doctors in Chennai discovered a large growth within his jaw. Hundreds of hard structures were found within the lump, which was around five by three centimetres in size. My God, if you've ever experienced toothache, this poor child. Once it had been removed, medical staff cut it open and found 526 teeth of varying sizes inside. Dental surgeon uh, involved 
said the tumour is very nicely demarcated from the rest of the bone and it's four to five centimetres into three centimetre size. In the right side of the lower jaw, it's completely removed and taken out. Then the tumour mass was given the histo given to the histopathology department and finally we came to know that there were 526 teeth present in the entire sack. My God, imagine that. Now, one of my nephews has got a double layer of teeth, but only at the back. So if you imagine, like a shark, right? If you imagine, like a, you know the ridge you've got behind your front set of teeth? Well, on that ridge, there's another one. And so, in theory, he may have more teeth behind there. And I think he did, but I don't know whether they're, I don't know whether they are baby teeth or what, but at some point he's going to have to have it addressed. But it's a thing that happens. But this poor kid, flipping heck, imagine, 520 odd. No wonder he was complaining about it. And I bet no one listened. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. I can see some calls coming through. Let's take a break and then we'll catch up with Chris and Alan and maybe you. The Late Night Alternative with Catherine Boyle. You never know just where the conversation will take you. On Talk Radio. This is what I love about this show. No matter how weird the stories I find are, we play top trumps with you, dear listener, and uh, I'm always going to lose. This is from Sharon, who said, have you seen this? Toad is a normal dog, apart from one thing. Her ear has teeth and it salivates. She's got a mouth in her ear hole. She's currently at a rescue centre for animals with major medical issues in Oklahoma City after being picked up as a stray. Founder of Mutt Misfits, I mean, that's unfortunate. What if they find out they're going to be hurt? Said immediately we recognised that she was very different to most dogs. She was initially showing lots of aggression, but once she and I got together, all that disappeared. There is a clip. We've got to listen to it. Here it is. I mean, teeth and a mouth that dribbles in your ear. I'm going to take a little video of her ear mouth. Mouth. There's a little bit of drool. Let me see your ear mouth. Alright, they're closing in on the ear. Oh my. <gasps> it's got little buck teeth. Beautiful ear mouth. I mean, beautiful is a stretch. There's something, isn't it? Blimey. I'm gonna take a little. I mean. An ear mouth. Upon her initial intake exam at the shelter, our veterinarian, a veterinarian originally thought she had extra ears. But once we sedated her for her spay surgery, that's when we discovered she actually has one ear and two mouths. However, Toad doesn't suffer because of her second mouth. Heather said we originally thought it had two teeth, but we did a dental cleaning on the ear a few weeks ago and discovered it has several a few of the ear teeth had cracked, which caused some discomfort. But once we removed the broken teeth, she was as good as new. The main teeth we kept since they appear to be attached to the skull. We certainly can't rule out that the ear mouth might cause further issues in the future, but that's okay. We can just take one day at a time. I mean, where do you put your word as original when you've got two mouths? The poor thing! Doesn't seem to be causing any problems, but I mean, to say it's unsightly is, uh, mind you, I suppose, who, who am I to judge? 
I maybe have one of those. You, you hear about people all the time, don't you? You go in for surgery and find they've got a tumour, and then when they open the tumour up, it's another person in there. Uh, hello, Chris. Hello, Catherine. Hello. Why are you How are you this evening? I'm all right, thank you. You're being very quiet. Am I? Yeah. There you are. Talking about um, teeth and, and things, mm-hmm. um, you've put me on a, a different uh, tangent now. Uh, my ex-partner, she had six fingers and six toes. Gosh. And um, with surgery, she had them um, taken off. Oh, I see. Right. She didn't keep them. Well, it wouldn't be shaking hands with somebody, would it? Could be useful for, like, basketball and stuff. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I often find that I don't have enough hands to carry, so an extra <laughs> hand would be useful. But So she got rid. Were they, like, fully formed fingers and toes then, or were they n- not? I, apparently so, yeah, she was only a kid. Blimey. And, yeah, yeah, so, yes. I think it's a bit of a shame to get rid then. No, well, no. If they work. Well, no, she she had extra toes on her, on her feet. Well, I didn't expect them to be anywhere else, but if they had been, I'd have liked to have seen it. Uh, so, did she have any ill effects from that? I mean, you hear about people having no, things no, removed, no, no, and then no, they like, still no. itchy in that. Hmm? No, no. Yeah, yes. Ah. I know, you know, some people, if they've had their like leg removed or something yeah you can still feel your leg yeah they get pins and needles and stuff don't they yes yeah oh gosh so any reports of that no she was only a little girl gosh she was only about two or three or so no it didn't affect her no good all right anyway what's going on with you this week chris oh What adventures have you had? <laughs> I don't write. <laughs> I I I I'm gonna nip over the the chip shop across the way there. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's not far from me. And right, so I went over there, and I, I can't see very well, Catherine. Yeah, you mentioned that. Well, I don't mean to mention it all the time. No, no, I'm just saying, well, no. you, you've mentioned that. I don't dwell on it. No, you certainly don't. You would never know. <laughs> so I put my hand on the counter, right, and I thought, right, what is this? And it, it was um, one of these little bells. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what, what's this? <laughs> and I just thought, thought about faulty towers. <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. I don't know, why have I got this on the counter, please? <laughs> and I realised what it was. Go on. It, well, it was a little bell. Okay. I thought it was going to be something else than that. So did you press it? Oh, yes, I did. Well, they accused me of pinching it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't pinched it. I said, can I buy it, please? <laughs> right. Is it a big chip shop then? You have to ring for assistance. No. What they got that for then? No, no. I did, that's why I asked them. And what did they I say? Said, why, why have we got a, a bell on the counter, please? Oh, just because if we don't in the back, 
the the counter. Uh huh. Let's see. It's a good story. I, I found it quite funny, actually. Well, it's a, it's a it's a curious thing. I know. I, I I've never seen. Well, I wouldn't say. See, I'm very touchy. I I. When you lose your sight, Catherine. Yeah. You tend to be sort of put your hands down. Gosh. <laughs> can get you into trouble sometimes. Oh, really? Because it's like you're using your hands to to see, in a way. Oh, gosh. I I, I remember I, I, my hands were in front of me and they were quite um, sort of chest height. Oh, dear. Oh, don't say oh, dear. I think I know where this is going, Chris. <laughs> I know. I, I did have to apologise for this <laughs> I do apologize. I'm really sorry. And yes, oh, I did put my hands on her, her breast. Gosh, excuse me, sir. I mean, madam. Oh, I, it was, I was so embarrassed. I bet. It was terrible. But that's what you do when you go blind. It's a bloody nightmare. I bet it's it not fun. But never mind. You got to smile about it. And see, I'm still wound up, wound up about that bleeding. Um, little bell over, over the chippy. Forget about the bell, Chris. It's not important. But it's you know, uh, you know. I suppose it's a, it's a it's a handy way to summon someone from a back room. They can't all be sitting there waiting for Chris to turn up for his. What are you having? Haddock and chips? No, I didn't. I I I, I never have a bag of chips. What? I don't. What did I, you have then? Something I buy. It's not. I, but I. I just thought. Ah, oh, right. I'm gonna have a bag of chips for a change. Beautiful. Well, no, it's not beautiful. It is. It? it is, Chris. You got to live a little. Chip butty is one of the finest things in life. <laughs> oh, just because you're from the north. I love a chip you're butty. A yeah, I love a chip butty. Pie and chips. Pie, chips, and gravy. Now you're toying with my dreams, Chris. <laughs> When I was pregnant, I live down south now, and when I was pregnant, I remember sending my husband to the shop, to the chip shop, and asking him to bring me a pie back. And he said when he asked for a pie, he might as well have been asking for uh, lobster. They're like, what? We've got a pack of pies. We haven't got meat and potato pies. Well, Ooh. when my ex, she used to send me over to, to Sainsbury's Ooh. over the shop on a, of a Sunday morning. Very posh. What do you mean, posh? Sainsbury's is posh. I, I, <laughs> so I said, right, okay, right, what do we need? Right. And <laughs> I know where you are. You're in the pub. <laughs> I can hear music. No, it's <laughs> it's Sainsbury's music. <laughs> Grace. That's terrible. I said. Busted. I, see, I've I done it again. Um, I booked us into an hotel. Right, go and buy us something. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm coming back. What I do now? They had a nice bar in the hotel. Right, where are you? Right, I'm coming back. I am. Right, I can hear music. I am. And she accused me of being in, in the bar again. Oh, I'm terrible. See, she, she was no. right, though, wasn't she? 
Oh, she was, yes. She was not daft. She might have had six fingers to start with, but she had both her ears and they both functioned. But I couldn't believe about that bell. And I can hear the disbelief in your voice, Chris. I know. They accused me of pinching the, the bell. Did you pinch the bell? No, I did not. You sound guilty as hell. No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I did tap. I, I tap. It just reminded me of uh, Faulty Towers. Yeah. Ding, ding. <laughs> because I put my hand on the top of it. Oh, that excuse again, is it? What? What do you mean? Feeling with your fingers, slipping it into your bag. No, I didn't. I didn't. I would. I. I've not pinched anything in my life. Love you. Know. I bet you haven't. All right. Thanks for ringing, Chris. I'm just having a bit of fun with you. Don't worry. I won't grass you up for being a bell thief. Hello, Alan. Hello. How are you, Catherine? I'm all right, thank you. Thanks for hanging on. You're okay. I think that uh, Chris was uh, dinging all the way. <laughs> we heard about that bell a lot, didn't we? I think he was quite quite confused by it. I think he nicked the bell. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all think he nicked the bell. He'll be furious for saying that, though. Anyway, what have you got for me, Alan? Well, last night I couldn't ring you because uh, my phone has gone dead and uh, I was listening to the radio and you were on about squeaky stories. Oh, yeah. Right, well, I've got a squeaky story for you. Right. Right, okay. So, my father, he's buying salt cars. So, he bought uh, this old Rover D6, the old 2000 with no electric windows and no central lock and like. Okay. It, it's got a fault on the battery, so, it, well, it was, a, it was a dynamo, not an alternator on that, and, and those cars. Alan, you so said a lot of words, and none of them are anything I understand. I get it. So it was an old car. Yeah, and it, 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 the, the alternator charges the battery, so okay. the battery was... So anyway, it was... Right. Outside to start it up and leave it, leave it running. So we're sitting in the car, and all of a sudden the locks went down, and the car completely went white inside. And it lasted for a few seconds, and then it, it really got hot in temperature, hmm. and it then all of a sudden it disappeared. What? And we found out later that car had been rebuilt, and somebody had died in it. So how's that one? You give me the willies, Alan. Well, that that is honest gospel. That is. Uh, I thought I'd just tell you that one. That's uh, one what happened to me and my father that night. God, have you ever had any other spook, spooky experiences, or was that the one? No, uh, we've uh, when uh, me uh, me nana and granddad was dying. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't know they were dying. My granddad was in hospital, he had a stroke, and uh, something called the death clock. And it, it like ticks and ticks until the person dies. And that's another one. What? Yeah, that's it. The, the death yeah. clock? You heard it? I heard the death clock, yeah. Oh, blimey, Alan. I know. But, uh, yeah, I'm telling you, any more sense. I think, um, I think that'll do, won't it? <laughs> I think that's enough. <laughs> Haunted cars and death clocks, that's enough for any lifetime. Well, that's it. I'm <laughs> just out on the reef tonight, so, <laughs> as usual. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for giving us a ring, I appreciate it. 
Okay, well, you take care of yourself and say hello to him when he comes back. I will do. He better bring me a good present. Oh, three four 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 nine nine one thousand. if you want to give me a ring. I'd love to hear from you. Um, should we... Should we take a break now and then we'll get into it? We can do some chat. It's fate if you fancy. He's brought the spookiness. The only best thing I can do is to continue it, I think. Experience the unconventional, the unpredictable, and the completely unorthodox. The Late Night Alternative with Catherine Boyle on Talk Radio. Right, hands down, the best thing I got for Christmas this year was a subscription to uh, the Paranormal Monthly Chat. It's fate. Guess who got me that? Yeah, my best mate Ian Lee. Knows exactly what I like. It's like, you know, hang on, let me see how many pages. It's not very fat. It's about 20, 60, 62 pages of bullshine every single month, right? And I've got the September 2019 issue in my hands now. Inexplicably, it's always two months ahead, right? So here's the latest one I've got. And I've opened it to the first sort of feature. Intriguing True Life is the heading, right? And it's uh, it's called Be Careful What You Wish For. And it's about a guy called Chris in Newport, South Wales, who lost one sense and gained another. Intrigued? I thought you would be. Here is another instalment of spookiness, courtesy of the good people at Chat's Fate. And Chris Barber, 59, of Newport, South Wales. Climbing into my car and buckling the seatbelt, I groaned. Not because of that, you pervert. It was Monday morning in December 2016, and I had another long week of commuting 70 miles each way to my job as a graphic designer ahead of me. I wish I didn't have to do this, I muttered to myself. I hated the job, hated the long hours, hated the commute. My blood pressure was sky high from the stress of doing a job I loathed. What I really wanted to do was to focus on my own art. But truth be told, I knew I wasn't good enough to make it as a professional artist. I'd tried to paint before, but the end result was always rigid and uninspired. The graphic design job paid the bills. What choice did I really have? Sighing to myself, I started the engine and set off for work. They say be careful what you wish for. I've always wondered if someone up there was listening to my plea that day. Intrigued? You should be. Let's read on. Christmas rolled around and at least I got some time off work to relax. The family were coming to stay with my wife Sharon and I for a few days. On Christmas Eve, I nipped into Bristol City Centre with my grandchildren for a bit of last-minute Christmas shopping. After a trip to Santa and a mince pie, we headed home. There was no need for that extra detail. He just gave it to you. You know why? Because he's an artist. He thinks in pictures. I was carrying my one-year-old granddaughter Naomi over the threshold when all of a sudden I came over really light-headed. I put Naomi down, staggered to the nearest chair and sat down, putting my head in my hands. Are you okay, Chris? My wife Sharon sounded worried. Oh, are you okay, Chris? That's more worried. I looked up to reassure her that I was all right and realised I couldn't see her properly. I had poor vision in my left eye, but nothing that stopped me reading, driving or using a computer. Purple writing, blurred vision. Now my right eye was blurred too. There was a big white blob right in the middle of my vision. I could barely make out my wife's face. Um, yes, I'm fine, love, I mumbled. I had a bit of a funny turn, but I'm sure I'll be okay in a minute. I didn't want to worry, Sharon, not with a house full of people, not over Christmas. 
Anyway, perhaps my sight would come back as quickly as it had disappeared. But it didn't. And as soon as I, by the time I went to bed, I was so worried that I told Sharon what happened. One minute I could see and the next I couldn't, I confessed. Sharon looked at me horrified. Chris, why didn't you tell me you could have had a stroke? Not like that, you perverts. We're going straight to hospital first thing in the morning. So instead of, instead of spending Christmas Day with the family, Sharon and I spent it at the local hospital in Bristol. I was poked and prodded and underwent all sorts of tests. The doctors tried to work out what was wrong with me. My blood pressure had skyrocketed. So I was given an MRI scan to examine my heart and nervous system and rule out the possibility of the stroke. That kind of stroke. I tried to make the most... Hang on, we've run out of... There we go. I tried to make the most of Christmas, but I was too worried. We all were. A few days later, I was given the result of my test. The artery at the back of your eye is blocked, the doctor told me. It's because of the high blood pressure. That's what's caused the loss of sight. That's good to know, I nodded. Will you be able to fix it? Permanent loss. I'm thinking not. I'm sorry, Mr. Barber, the consultant said. See, they spoiled it by putting the little subheading before it because I was ready to, I wanted to know whether he was going to, you know, he was going to get his sight back. And then they put permanent loss in big purple writing there. So you know what's coming next. You might as well not bother. I'm sorry, Mr. Barber, the consultant said. I'm afraid the loss of sight is permanent. We know because of the permanent loss thing. All we can try to do now is stop it getting worse. I left the hospital numb with shock. It took a while for the full... By the way, if you want to give me a ring, you can. I'm really not precious about this story. Oh, three, four... I know it's great. And I know you're all gripped. But if you want to give me a ring, don't be polite. Interrupt. Oh, three, four, 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 nine, nine, one thousand. Back to Chris. I had no choice but to give up my job, sign up for disability benefit, and I was worried sick and fell into depression. What are we going to do for money, I worried to Sharon. But Sharon, who is a working medium with a direct line to spirit, seemed less concerned than I'd expected. Sprung that one on us, didn't he? Everything happens for a reason, she said, patting my hand. The angels granted your prayer to give up work, and yes... It seems pretty brutal now, but you've got to trust in the universe. It's going to be okay. Why didn't she tell him this when he first had his sight loss? Could have skipped the whole thing. Could have, she could have just told him the end of this story. Instead, she let him go through it. I think we need to have a word with Sharon. Helping out. Although I was spiritual myself, I was pretty sceptical about that, but at least now I had the chance to get more involved with Sharon's spiritual work, which is something I'd always wanted to do. She had her own healing centre at our home, seeing customers for Reiki healing and psychic readings. One day, I was sitting quietly in the room, listening as she did a tarot card reading, a tarot card reading for a customer. Suddenly, the image of a woman came into my head. I could see her so clearly in my mind's eye. I found myself picking up a pen, pulling a notebook towards me, and drawing the image that had popped into my head. Sharon and the customer looked at me. What are you doing? Sharon asked. She should have known. But the customer was staring down in shock at what I drew on my notepad. No, not that, you pervert. Oh my God, she gasped. Seriously, no, not that, you pervert. You've just drawn my grandmother. Purple writing, identical image. <laughs> Listen, I've skipped ahead with my eyes. I can see the photo of the grandmother. I can see the picture. It's not identical. 
She pulled out her phone and showed me and Sharon a photo of an older lady. I could just about make her out. And she was the spitting image of the woman I'd just drawn. She wasn't. <laughs> it turned out that she'd passed away a few years previously. The customer was delighted that we'd been able to bring her through. The sketch is amazing, she gushed. You're such a talented artist. Thanks, I muttered, a bit embarrassed at the compliment. That was amazing, Chris, Sharon said afterwards. I think you must have a gift. I shrugged. I've suddenly become a talented artist overnight. But that can't happen, can it? Not that sort of gift, Sharon told me. I think you've got a spiritual gift. I laughed. I doubt it, you know. It was probably just a one-off. I've told you before, you've got to trust the universe, Sharon said. I know your spirit guides are with you. I can see them, even if you can't. She smiled at me. How does he know? There's more to this story. I think this is what your guides and the universe meant to happen all along. I started drawing regularly for Sharon's clients and it was like a channel had opened up. Suddenly I could draw and paint in the free, uninhibited way I'd always dreamed of doing. I never thought about it logically. It just flowed out of me without me realising it. It's like when you're driving a car and suddenly you're at your destination but you're not sure how you got there, I said to Sharon, trying to put the feelings into words. It's your spirit guides taking over, controlling you and putting the pencil or paint where it needs to go, Sharon explained to me. During one card reading, I sketched a dog. Pretty random, I thought. When the woman looked at it, she started crying. It was bloody awful. <laughs> Not really. It was her dad's dog. And her dad had just come through to us during the reading. Flat cap. I love the purple writing. It's my favourite. Flat cap. Another time, I drew a man in a flat cap. With a pit head in the background. That's my grandfather, the client said immediately. And you've, did Chris come on? Was Chris, what, what's Chris after? Get back on if you want. Cause he won't, he won't settle until you do. That's my grandfather, the client said immediately. And you've also drawn the view from the window of his house in the background. Wow, that really is uncanny. Recently I've been drawing a little girl, Sharon says, of one of, uh, it's of one of her guides, Emily. I've actually seen Emily myself. Although I can't see things if I look at them head on, I seem to have no problem seeing spirit even with my eyes shut. I've caught glimpses of little Emily in the corner of our bedroom. She's about six years old and Sharon says she probably died of smallpox. Probably. What kind of medium is she? I can't see my own guides, but Sharon can. She says that one of them is a monk. I've also done a shamanic journey to connect with my animal guide and I got the word... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear this is beautiful <laughs> okay serious and I got the word marmoset <laughs> not the word that I was thinking of I actually had to look that up afterwards as I didn't know what a marmoset was I can feel them with me though and most importantly I can feel their energy guiding me when I paint it's like I'm a channel for spirit and I'm doing their work of helping them connect with the living. Purple writing. Dream come true. Sharon was right, of course. She always is. Although it was incredibly hard losing my sight like that, the universe gave me my dream. The ability to paint. I mean, he's assuming they're good. 
My blood pressure has gone down since I gave up my stressful job and Sharon and I have moved to Newport, South Wales, where we run a butterfly center together offering, uh, no, butterfly enlightenment center together offering healing readings and spiritual development courses. I'm far happier now than I was in my old job and life. It was like someone up there finally said, right, we're going to sort this out for him. As Sharon says, trust in the universe and it'll see you right. There's so many unanswered questions there. So many unanswered questions. The marmoset thing. So that's his spirit guide, the marmoset. What, what particular attributes does the marmoset? I mean, he had to look it up. Let's find out. Oh. I'm just wondering how good they'd be. You know, if I had a spirit guide, I'd want it to be like, I don't know, like a bear or something, right? Marmoset. It's a monkey. And monkeys are always good. Uh, Marmosets, also known as Zaris, are 22 New World monkey species. Uh, term Marmoset also used in reference to Goeldi's Marmoset, closely related. 20 centimetres long. Relative to other monkeys, they show some apparently primitive features, claws rather than nails, tactile hairs on their wrists, no wisdom teeth, and their brain layout seems to be relatively primitive. As I thought, absolutely pony is a spirit guide. Experience the unconventional, the unpredictable, and the completely unorthodox. The Late Night Alternative with Catherine Boyle on Talk Radio. I've already apologised once for dropping the ball when it came to a story. Well, here's a story I should have... This whole show should have been about this. Man 26 plays, pays woman £100 to give him a wedgie in public as part of a fetish. Ian always says if you can imagine it, someone's getting off over it. Wedgies apparently are the thing for this young lad. A London city worker has divulged how he pays upwards of £100, more than £100 for a wedgie. We were giving them out willy-nilly at school. The man who wants his identity to be shrouded in secrecy. I mean, you can probably tell by the way he walks, to be honest. Because I've seen the state of... There's a picture here. I was going to say I've seen the state of his pants. <laughs> probably not the phrase I want to use in this situation. But there's just the, there's just the a waistband left. That's a pretty strong wedgie. <laughs> pretty hard to recover from that, I would imagine. The man who wants his identity to be shrouded in secrecy believes his unusual fetish started when bullies carried out the act on him at school. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. The Camberwell resident, who wants to be referred to as Bobby, particularly likes being given a wedgie by women in crowded places. I'd do that for £100. Would you, Hayley? Do it for 50 Do it for 5 <laughs> <laughs> he told my London it's the perfect combination of humiliation domination and pain the 26 year old explained it's difficult to say when the thought of the wedgie shifted from nightmare being given them by bullies to something that I like now it's fair to say that I endured a fair amount of wedgies growing up my school was pretty brutal I remember one occasion in particular at the end of term aged about 15 that I was hoisted up onto a tree branch by my underwear and left there Wow, that's a power wedgie. I remember a group of girls just stood there laughing at me and then went on their way to class. Wow. Wow, on a tree branch. That's like something from the Beano. To add insult to injury, I had to be helped down by the teachers. I wish I hadn't had such strong underwear. I can't say that occasion, that occasion was when the fetish started, but I certainly vividly remember that group of girls. Tell you what happened to me at school, that might, one of my humiliation things, that hasn't turned into a fetish. But you never know when it's going to flare up. 
my mum made me a summer dress and it had like a proper full 1950s style swirly skirt and um a bigger girl got hold of the bottom of my dress pulled it up over my head and trapped me in it like a bag <laughs> you can see with my knickers and my legs moving about yes trapped me in it trapped in my skirt so i feel for this guy i'm not hiring people to do it to me in public though that's where i uh, ways part at university i knew a quite uh, quite a big group of very confident girls who would jokingly give me wedgies every now and again by this stage it had definitely become something that i didn't mind called wedging bobby has said he's since grown to enjoy the experience and prefers women to do it as it's more humiliating my god he says Take being hung by your underwear, you're helpless to stop it, and it's just the idea of underwear which is such a private thing, having it pulled out and on display, it's embarrassing. Plus there's the dominance that the person has over you when they are wedging you. There's nothing you can do, you just have to deal with the pain. Someone having that much power over you is exhilarating. Bobby says he receives a wedgie around every other week, although it does vary. He spends hundreds a month on his fetish, but says he can afford it as he works in the city. How much I pay slightly depends on how good the wedgie is, he said. The most I've spent is a hundred pounds for one where these two women ripped my pants off in Hyde Park on a busy summer afternoon. He said he's given wedgies in many public locations across London, even Oxford Street, but usually it's just a park or open space. He's not a pervert. I don't have a particular favourite place, but somewhere busy is always good, Bobby added. There are some people who regularly wedgie me in various locations across London. They seem to really enjoy doing it. I bet they do for a hundred quid. He said it's tricky to find people who give him a wedgie, but he often uses social media. I think there are a lot of people who have a wedgie fetish, to be honest. I've said wedgie far more in the last minute than I've done for the last 20 years. Come in, Paul, or I'll give you a wedgie. <laughs> I don't really know anyone who does, but there are lots of accounts on social media, and I know that there are dominatrix who specialise in wedging people. That's a bizarre American thing. No, I mean, I'm the oldest man in this building. In yeah. fact, I've got shoes older than you, and under, <laughs> I'm probably wearing underpants older than you are, but I never heard of wedges in the 70s. Really? It was never a thing. What was it with you lot? Nuggies? Dead legs, yeah. Chinese burns, uh -huh. uh, occasionally... There was a big lad in my school. Luckily, I was a friend of. I was always very friendly with the bullies, quite right too. And he would grab smaller kids by the hair just above their ear and li literally pull them up onto their tiptoes. Yeah, I know, I know. Ooh. He was a legend. He sadly took his own life while on remand for an armed robbery. Gosh. Later on, so it's got a tragic ending. That story. <laughs> I wish I'd not dragged you down that alleyway. Yeah, but but in that, no, but never a wedgie. Wedgie. Also, I don't think, with all respect. <sighs> I mean, the wedgies, what, what, what underwear do American lads wear? Was, and they would give you a wedgie. Because I was always wearing the nylon pants with a kind of wide front. Well, so these, I mean, I, I can show you the state of I can what, imagine if you were wearing a, a kind of with a thong in your heart, but not a, not a normal pair of pants. So you're not boxers. I think he's wearing like. Oh, dirty boy. Budgie smugglers. That's just. That's like just. A G, it's like a jock strap or well, something, is it? That's just, the, that's just the waistband where she's pulled it so hard it's oh, come apart. Oh, God, she's, she's shattered his underpants. That's terrifying. He said shattered. Yeah. She's the She-Hulk he's getting wedges from. Sometimes two women at a time. A double wedging. <laughs> yes. Mind you, £100 is more difficult ways to earn £100, isn't it? I'd give him a double wedgie for 20 <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Booking now for 2020. <laughs> no job too small. I'll bring my own pants. 
<laughs> are they, they Tory underpants with the yeah, vigour yeah. of the wedgie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he likes being propped up on things as well. Well, my show's going to be a real anticlimax <laughs> after that. Let me tell you, <laughs> serious business. That is astonishing. <laughs> I mean, there's a, you know, every pot has a lid, as my name used to say. It's true, <laughs> so true. How would you broach that in a relationship? Um, so you like, uh, oh, you like all cool tree. I like, like a bit of domination. <laughs> you like, you know, you like that, and you know, you like walks along cliff tops and lovely. And, and uh, would you consider pulling the my underpants up the crack of my ass? How would you break that? I've never said that word in the radio <laughs> before. That's in reference to the donkey, but yes. How would you start? Oh, it's bizarre. I don't know. What a world we live in. As the great Latin writer Terence said, nothing human is alien to me, or should be, but that really is. <laughs> it's a weird. It's not, I mean, you know, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm making too light of it. It wouldn't seem to me to be genuinely that painful, would it? A wedgie? Oh, I don't know. Really? Because there's only a certain amount of. It's got to go right, right in your groin. I suppose that bit, yeah. Not, I'm always thinking more of the backside, but I'm not always thinking more of the backside. I'll tell you what, give me £100 and I'll demonstrate. <laughs> <laughs> You're all right, I think. I've got £4.70 on me. So <laughs> what can I get for that? Can you pluck a few hairs from my upper thigh or something? <laughs> what a bizarre world we live I know, in. I know, I know. Speaking of which, what's on your show? Well, we're going crossing live to the USA because uh, it's this month, of course. Well, two things we're doing on the show, really. It's, uh, it's kind of an August 50 years ago when you could say the 60s came to its apotheosis with the Woodstock Festival, but also it was the end of the 60s with the Manson Murders, and we're covering both of those major anniversaries oh, on the show this morning, and also a very grim but fascinating anniversary. The commemorations have started in Poland, they mark it every year, 75 years ago at the weekend, and it ran for 63 days. Something in the region, they believe, well, at least, they reckon, 80,000 people died, the Warsaw Uprising. Wow. And the uh, Polish resistance, who kept going throughout the uh, German occupation, because the Poles were the first to fight, effectively, because they were invaded in 1939 that started the war um they were expecting the russian tanks to roll in the russians held back the uprising went on for 63 days the russians went nowhere near it because stalin wanted all those polish leaders gone Gosh. so we let the nazis take care of those and then he rolled into warsaw so it's a terrifying story about the terrible struggles of the polish people not a wedgie in sight i'll be listening on my way home thanks very much paul ross up next i'm done i'll see you tomorrow in the meantime stick with talk radio Ow! this is talk radio